Okay, there we go. Looks like it's now going. So yeah, Jamie was covering all of the prophetic, and you said he was talking about about what? The giants. The giants. Yeah. Like Nephilim, he was getting into. Yeah, he, oh, he wow. covered over the uh, the bear with five of them. Yeah, five. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he went into some detail about that. It was interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, all right. Well, uh, my plan is basically the same as last week. No plan to just kind of kick it off with you guys and questions you have from anything last week and or anything you've been looking into. Uh, any other questions about healing theologies, growth, or anything like that, and we'll just kind of jump around from there and see where we go. So, yeah, does anybody want to kind of jump in with anything or any questions or, or comments or anything like that? Yeah, I, I want to circle back to the yeah. question that I asked about the beliefs. Did you think of any other um, mm. beliefs that you had to set aside that would surprise me? I don't know. I don't think I did because I, because I had to, I went like home and packed up and went immediately to Mississippi and then came back for two days and then went to Louisiana and got back. So I don't think I remembered to spend time on that. But um, as I'm thinking about it now, I, I, I believe that what I mentioned last week was, I think that was really the, the biggest obstacle. Um, I, the, even just the fact that that's the only one that really rises to the surface in my mind makes me think that's the largest one. Just just overcoming um, the unbelief of the temptation and the unbelief of the fact that something about you makes you uh, incapable of being used by the Holy Spirit. I think that was the biggest obstacle for me. And really what undid that is just looking through uh, the historical part of just the fact that, you know, the more unqualified you are is basically what puts you, bumps you up to the front of the line to be, to be used by the Lord. And um, so, yeah, I think that was the biggest, biggest obstacle for me. Um, and, and especially examining even what God does with, with what we believe to be failures. Um, in our lives and our obedience and um, that was that was a, a huge one um, that, that kind of goes together with um, with that it's kind of in the same vein of things uh, I think with not only that God can use you despite yourself and despite your weakness but overcoming to believe the mindset that um the many times that i've stepped out in things or watched others step out in things and we thought basically we this is bearing no fruit and seeing what god does in the midst of that um one thing that was that i i mentioned a lot uh since finding out about it when i'm teaching and traveling is um actually has kind of to do with uh with camden and the the crazy thing about this is um i knew none of you know her connection but I owned there's there's this guy he was an evangelist named Mordecai Ham and um, he led uh, DL Moody to the Lord and um, after DL Moody uh, Moody led 
someone to the Lord named J. Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman led Billy Sunday to the Lord. Billy Sunday's more known, Moody's more known. Uh, Billy Sunday led, um, well, sorry, I got the time time frame a little bit off my mind i'm in lag mode a little bit from getting back late last night mordecai was the last was af, was led to the lord by billy sunday uh it was ever edward, edward kimball is who kind of kicked off things so uh, anyway getting up into mordecai ham then what i i owned uh some copies of mordecai's journals that would were kind of chronicling his crusades and things like that and um i owned it them that were from I was familiar with them before ever meeting Camden. And um, after meeting her, the crazy thing was Camden's great-great-grandfather was named uh, Harold Earthman. He was basically the person who would organize and set up all of Mordecai Ham's crusades. So uh, I found that out and um, talked to people around the town in Murfreesboro, Tennessee that knew him and knew Mordecai. And... uh, all that to say, there was this one one event that they tried to do, one, one crusade, that was in 1934. And I had read the journals where Mordecai uh, wrote and what Harold believed was, they basically, this is our biggest failure we've ever had in the ministry. Because they spent all this money, all this time and resources to put on this one crusade, expecting this really large turnout. Didn't have a very large turnout. And when they gave the altar call, there was only one person that came forward. Um and what Mordecai wrote in his journals, and what even asking people around the town that knew them or that knew, heard the stories from Harold, they they com- complained about it all the time about what a big, what a flop it was. And um, in Mordecai's journals, what he and Harold wrote was crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, 1934, disaster, complete failure. Only one 16-year-old came forward and gave his life to the Lord, but it was uh, Billy Graham was a 16-year-old that came forward and oh my goodness. And so they thought, this, this is our biggest, yeah, in their eyes, our biggest mistake and failure. We should have never done this. We should have gone a completely different direction. And, you know, God providentially was like, nope, this one person, you know, that I plucked. And it was, it was Billy. So that was really their greatest triumph, what they thought was their greatest failure. And, uh, and there's so many stories like that. Um, that that really moved me out of the position of you know you can't do anything with me or or with what I'm perceiving to be not really bearing any fruit like you can do whatever you want you know you're you're God so um, yeah I'd say that so mm-hmm. anybody else have any kind of I mean it doesn't have to be necessarily a question it can be kind of something you're wanting to discuss or get into and um i've got a lot of thoughts and lots of notes and history and things but um but i want to uh cover what you guys want to to cover i actually have more questions on revival because yeah. you had um you had mentioned last week about looking through your facebook feed and seeing mm-hmm. you know everybody claiming that there was revival and you saying you know we must be the luckiest generation to experience 20 revivals or something like that Uh and um i was thinking about that but also kind of pairing it with something jay baylor said to us that people miss revivals all the time (laughs) and so i was just wondering one what are some of the markers of a true revival like how do you know separate like the wheat from the 
stop, stop, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, like, what's the, oh gosh, I've forgotten my part two. <laughs> part one is more important than doing <laughs> Yeah, like, how do you know, mm-hmm. like, what's the real, what's the fake? Yeah. And, oh, my part two was, shouldn't it be better to have a false positive than a false negative? Like, shouldn't... Mm-hmm shouldn't you be more sensitive to it and say okay maybe this is it yeah <laughs> you know as opposed to the, yeah that's really good yeah that's really good um well i guess i can just dip a little bit here into into my um notes from the revival series i've been filming kind of walk through some of that um but it's a pretty note heavy try not to get bogged down in it um those are really good questions. I'd have to hear kind of a little bit of Jay's context, but I, but I, what I think he means is um, sort of something that I've been, uh, and actually the next, it's going to be, my Revival series is coming out, it's going to be four parts. People like that, I'll do another, I'll do a part two and have them like another four. Um, but the third one that I'm filming this Friday and that I've been teaching recently as I've been going out is on... Um, revival sovereignty and uh, personal responsibility and how those intersect, why it's important to understand that they intersect and um, the implications of your obedience in, in sort of the grand scheme of God's orchestration. And um, I would definitely agree with Jay that um, I, th- I believe that, that absolutely people do miss it. Um, because it's it's very dualistic. It's, there's two sides that are equally as important to understand. And um, and the first part of my uh, series, one of the things that I address is sort of not saying that it's wrong or coming against it, but like, okay, let's bring a balance here. And like a lot of people don't like the word balance. It's one of my favorite words. It's essential for theology, but the reason that many people don't like it is because like from my experience, at least when I, I used to hate it because of, I think the same reason a lot of people hate it. Typically there have been, I think people that had very good intentions in our lives that didn't understand that word, didn't understand the term and sort of use it as spiritual abuse to put out your fire and your passion and the name of, you know, you don't really have to love Jesus that much. Let's have some balance here, you know, like, like that sort of thing. And it typically is kind of, and I've noticed that as I'm going out, if I mention that word, I can see people kind of cringe or clench up. And so what I've started kind of doing is saying, if, if that word has baggage for you, then reinterpret balance as fullness, that it's, it's not, you know, it, another thing is like people say, well, should we seek God's hand or seek his face? It's, it's fullness. It's all of it. You're not, it, there's no... It's not as, it's only in our minds that God is split into these different, you know, categorical things where we can seek his hand or seek his face. That's not even a reality. It's your, your, if you seek him, you seek him. So, um, anyway, the, the fullness of one of the things I was addressing is kind of what's become really, really popular the last couple of years in the charismatic stream is, um, like the I am revival terminology and like I'm not again not coming against that like that's uh, a good mindset to have in a way because it's God's like the the second uh, chronicles 69 I think is I believe is the verse that says um, that the eyes of God are continually roaming 
throughout the earth and seeking individuals whose hearts are perfected towards him that he can display his strength through them like god god is continually looking for partnership that's one aspect of it but what i was kind of addressing is we need to be very careful to not diminish what a genuine revival is and genuine awakening and outpouring uh because if if we if we remove that element then we can diminish our expectations and we we need to yes understand that we're carrying the holy spirit with us but we have to equally understand there are these these tipping point moments of the holy spirit that that we can't orchestrate that we can't bring about that god initiates in awakenings in outpourings and um i i would agree with jay that that there are times where people miss it uh, because God because of the fact that God looks for dwelling places of the heart in humanity and his creation like he doesn't have to use us but he always longs to partner with his people and um, one of one of my very favorites is I, I don't think I mentioned this last week I don't remember if I if I start to repeat on something just be like you're already you know, just cut me off and tell me, because I sort of I, I talk about the same sort of things all the time, and so I, it's really easy for me to get it to repeat. But I don't think I mentioned this here. Did I? Did I talk about kind of what happened in the beginning of the 1949 Argentina revival? Mm-hmm. I did about the woman hitting the pulpit. I talked about that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that so that is kind of illustrates what Jay I think means and. Um, and the fact that God looks for partnering with humanity. You know, there was, obviously God orchestrated it. Like, I was just mentioning this again while I was in Louisiana about the fact that you can't reduce grace to something that's formulaic, you know, because, I mean, today, let's say God did that through me or through any of us, what our kind of default setting would be is to start pulpit hitting international, you know, ministries and like, (laughs) write a book on the keys to the unfolding glory that happens when you strike the pulpit, you know? But it's, it's, it's nothing is to do with the action in and of itself. It's everything to do with the obedience. And I think that people do very often miss out on those things. Less, maybe, maybe not even necessarily a what I would describe as a, a revival, but even, uh, even a, let's say, a personal reviving or personal awakening in an individual just reaching out to someone praying for them seeing them healed seeing them come into the kingdom because god speaks so subtly that the enemy comes in and like tempts us well that's just you and you divert away and you miss those opportunities so um i yeah i i don't remember the first part of your question i know the second part was on right markers yeah 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 um so yeah, it's it's really interesting looking into this. So, like the Old Testament definitions of revival, um, it's actually in the Old Testament. There's not revival, but revive uh, is used, or reviving is used, which is koya in the Hebrew, and um, it means to preserve, to make alive, quicken, recover, repair, restore, or uh, to be whole. And uh, or to to save, and in the Old Testament, it's actually used over two hundred times. I don't remember exactly how many, but I think something like two two hundred ten, two hundred twelve times. And uh, one of the first times it's mentioned is with um, Jacob, 
in uh, Genesis 45, 27. And it says, And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. So the first mention is, is, is about the human spirit experiencing a um, reviving. And second is with Samson, um, where it talks about uh, his vision reviving in Judges 15, 19. It says, but God uh, created a hollow place that was in the jaw. There came water there out. And when he drank of it, his spirit came again and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof, I can't pronounce this, in a, in a core, which is in Lehan to this day. I need to learn how to speak Hebrew. So, uh, then there's Elijah, where a woman's child is brought to life in 1 Kings 17, 22. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And then there is Elisha's bones in 2 Kings 13, 21. That says, And it came to pass as they were burying a man that, behold, they, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulchre of Elisha into his grave. And when the man was let down, and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. That, that's always been one of the craziest stories to me, that they, they could throw someone on, onto the bones of Elisha. And that there, were, there was such a, a presence there that the man came back to life. Um, but all of these instances when um, that word revive is used, uh, Hebrew is written in a poetic since many times and it has emphasis um it, it you can have multiple words or uses usages of a word in hebrew that carry it's the same word but but written in a way where it carries varying degrees of weight and each of these instances it's it's speaking of a greater degree of deadness and so it's like it's sort of like god's saying each time it's used it's revive 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 it's it's a very greatly coming alive and um then you're moving into further in the old testament from uh dr wilbur smith he he's noting <clears throat> what he would calls outstanding revivals that there are seven of them in the old testament um and there's a lot of characteristics to those like the first one will be they occurred in a time where there was deep moral darkness and national depression. And secondly, they began in the heart of consecrated servants who uh, became like that energizing power and vessel of the Holy Spirit, and they were an agent used by the Lord to quicken and lead the nation back to faith and in obedience uh, to Him. And um, that's kind of getting, again, back into the whole thing of God looking for vessels looking for resting places looking for hearts that are that are turned towards him um one of the things i think that i just mentioned when i was in louisiana for people to write down is um that that revival requires real estate and what i meant by that is is not only is it something that's corporate but god's looking for property in you he's he, he's looking for uh like did I, did I talk about what the Lord spoke to me about Smith last time when I was here, about Smith Wigglesworth? I don't think so. Um, but um, several years ago now, I don't remember how many years ago, I was listening to someone, um, I think on YouTube, 
speaking and they were referencing Smith and quoting him and uh, what they quoted from Smith that Smith would say often is um, if God's not moving I'll move him and when I heard that I was so upset and offended and went to the Lord and, and was just complaining and you know ah, blah, blah, I don't like this and God's just like why what's what's the issue and um, you know I tried to out theology God and like because of you know your sovereignty and I don't know all this that I'm looking into this and the exact thing that I told him was everything that I'm looking into regarding your providence regarding sovereignty and, and, and the fact that you're you're omniscient you're omnipresent I don't believe that I can take your hand and move you to touch this person move you to heal move you to to resurrect a nation or and I'm using that terminology, and, and he says, you're right, son, but you're only half right. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean? You know, like sort of like Ezekiel before the dry bones, like, Lord, you know, I don't know. And um, he said, Smith did move me, but he didn't move me by moving my hand. He moved me by moving my heart. And that was life-changing for me to realize it absolutely was not arrogance for Smith to say, if God's not moving, then I'll move him. He, uh, Smith knew it's, it, you, we can't force God to do anything you know that's foolish but but what you can do is recognize his ways recognize his intentions recognize his desires and what Smith was saying is I, I know that God will come and fall and rest on lives that are given as sacrifices before him so what he was saying was if by if God's not moving, I'll move him. Isn't arrogantly saying I'll force him to do something. It's saying if no one else is going to become the sacrifice here, then I'll be the one to do it. And he lived that, and he modeled that, and and the glory rested heavily on him because he he knew what it was to demonstrate that. Um, and that's back into the role of you know God's sovereignty that He wants to come, but the human agency that's um, required. Like I. I it's slipping my mind now exactly where it is. I think it's 1 Corinthians 4.20, I think, uh, that says that speaks about the promises of God being yes and amen in Christ. Um, and even the, the really popular worship song, that all your promises are yes and amen. Mm-hmm. But what we think with that typically is like, God, thank you that there, you've declared this. There's this prophetic word. This revival is going to come. There's going to be blah, blah, blah. And so now I'm... You watch over your word to perform it, and we can easily get into sort of like, you know, a Christian easy boy recliner kind of thing where we're just like, all right, yeah, I'm God, like, bring it about. I'm just waiting, watching, you know. And um, that's not what this is saying. It's, it's, it, it, it is a partnership that God's looking for. And, um, like, in our, in our movement, I think we become, like, masters and experts at decreeing and declaring and novices at hearing and obeying, you know, like with, like you can't decree your way into into a prophetic promise coming to pass. You you can't declare your or speak your way into that. Like yes, there's power in what you say. Yes, there's power in your words. Absolutely, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. Yes, but again, it, it it's it's that God is looking for. Okay, now that this has been declared that I want to do this. Now that there's a rhema, there is your responsibility. To see it walked out and you, and you can't divorce a promise from the process of walking that out so um anyway 
yeah, they it's it's interesting that they that whenever you're seeing these things taking place biblically, it begins within the hearts of his creation. Um, so, so this yeah. was a question. Yeah. So we should be careful what we declare because in some ways we are assuming a part of the responsibility of making it happen. Hmm. Is that part of what you're saying? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that, that there's a lot within within binding and loosing that we don't really un- comprehend the weightiness of and uh, and within the authority that God has given us um, a friend of mine was speaking about a year ago with me about kind of the height of the Jesus movement in the 70s and um, there was a guy um, he's still active right now. His name's Greg Laurie. Um, him and another another guy were sort of under Chuck Smith with Calvary Chapel. And the Lord was moving. It was genuinely genuine awakening in the Jesus movement in the 70s. And uh, Greg and this other individual um, were moving and they were seeing things and manifestations of the Spirit. But uh, Chuck Smith, who was the founder of Calvary Chapel, really didn't like any of the manifestations. He especially hated tongues and hated people falling down. And they, he was telling them that they were sort of like his spiritual sons, that he was against it. And they were at first like, well, we're not doing it. It's the Lord is doing it. And he's like, I don't care. I, don't, I want it to stop. And um, what they did is uh, they prayed and asked for God to stop doing it. And he did all of it dried up that no more none of those manifestations continued and what greg told this other individual that this friend of mine relayed to me is he said that's when i realized that we were in control now that sounds like when you when you first hear that that sounds like it's heresy you know the the, the fact that you're controlling god but i don't think it is if you understand binding and loosing that um they you it's sort of like through your human will, you can have as much of God's will as you want. Um, if that's making sense. Yeah. So. So I really don't understand binding and loosening. Yeah. In one of the books, I think it was Bill Johnson said, like he learned about this like 25 years later, and it was very important. But I haven't really studied about binding and loosening or. I don't know about the other people, but I'd like to learn about binding and loosening because Bill Johnson said it's important you're talking about it, but I haven't been taught about it. I don't know if we're going to be taught. Yeah, well, it, it's a very, it's a really complex subject. Um, and it, one of the reasons is that there's no exhaustive, um, something to pull from from biblically that really expounds on it a lot you, you have some references to it <clears throat> but I think that like I think it carries different degrees so like what, a, what is it? I think it, it, it is knowing what it is that God wants to do and partnering with it and speaking mm-hmm. what he wants to do so like for an example I all of us do that on a on a foundational level 
every time you give a word of knowledge, you're loosing what, what it is that God is wanting to do. Because you're hearing from him, which from you're hearing revelation from heaven. What so? And actually, when you look at that in the original language, it's, what it is saying is that you're, you're declaring from the Lord what he desires to be loosed from heaven, and you're binding what he has bound from heaven. Um, so whenever we're speaking against sickness that doesn't exist in heaven, that's bound in heaven, that's binding. Whenever we're declaring what the purposes of God are, that's loosing. And, um, oh, you say that again? Yeah, we're, we're the most basic level would be uh, binding the works of the enemy whenever we speak against sickness. So whenever we're, we're praying for like the works of the enemy to be undone, um, and you can go back into Jesus' parable of the strong man being bound, that he was the stronger man that he came to undo the works of the enemy like Luke eleven twenty, that him driving out uh, demons by the finger of God is a sign that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So we are binding the works of the enemy. We're partnering with Jesus in the binding of the strong man of the enemy. Whenever we're speaking against sickness and when we're declaring God's will, that's a loosing. That's where we're saying, you know, like the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it has already been done in heaven. Um, but but ultimately what I mean is I, I think we we typically don't we typically lose sight of I think the power behind that uh, at the weight behind our words the weight behind what we partner with what we believe what we recognize that God's doing and, and the partnering with that another example would be like in the times of, of whenever you're seeing any of us minister impartation and like we're re- we're looking at what's God doing on this individual, and this, this is why Randy will say like if they're shaking, I bless the power, I bless the tears, I bless the joy, and when you'll notice when when you say I bless that or I agree with that, what happens? It's it increases, you know, um, because you're seeing what God's doing and you're agreeing with that. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So. I think it's both, um, and it's yeah, it's above my level of understanding. I don't get it, but um, I think there are times you see both of those. And like for example, you know we're we're much more quick to judgment and wrath than he is. Like one example would be with uh, James and John, you know, called the sons of thunder, and and they want to call down fire on everyone. And, 
blow them up, incinerate them. And myself, if it were my spiritual sons that wanted to do that, I would be like, all right, maybe you might want to pull you out of ministry for a little bit, but Jesus didn't do it. Um, He corrected their heart and continued to send them on their way. And so you see that, and I think you see that today with things, but there's the other side. Um, I don't know what warrants one or the other. Again, it's like it's above above my understanding. But you kind of see both of those. And um, I do think God, uh, on one hand, has... It's kind of mind-blowing, like, wow, you've given us this responsibility, this opportunity to do these things. And then the other side of it is um, he does want you to come into greater understanding, to train, to know what it is he's given you, how to use it, like uh, like you were speaking about swords. Something that I'll you know tell people often is like, whatever it is, whatever it is that God gives you in the spirit, like let's say he gives you like, this sword or these arrows or whatever, you can have no idea how to use it. And, um, like, I think what I said in Louisiana kind of about this is, like, and they're a very word of faith group, so I was like, God could give you a brand new uh, Ferrari right now out in the parking lot, and you could have no clue how to drive it. If you don't know how to drive the Ferrari, it's not leaving the church parking lot, even if he gives it to you, you know. So, um, yeah, there's, like, the responsibility on, on our end as well to understand how to steward what it is that he gives, how to partner with him. And um, I think I touched last week on a little bit of it and how I think one reason that that sometimes some things are held up uh, in prayer is not because God's being stingy or withholding, but because he's just seeing you, do, you will not know what to do with this if I give it to you. Like it's out of love and out of mercy that he's not answering some things because if he gave it to you, it would the weight of it would crush you because you wouldn't know what to do with it. You wouldn't know how to steward it. Your heart wouldn't be in the right place. You wouldn't know how to handle the pull of the people. Um, so, yeah. I don't I don't remember how we ended up yeah, going. It was like a couple of rabbit trails. A couple of rabbit trails. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I, I, I went to... Yeah. Okay. But, um, you said listening instead of declaring God's will. So, for example, if I'm praying for Paul and I declare that he feels... Um, because I'm, I want him healed. It's not that, oh, I heard God say directly he's going to heal him. Just, I've been praying, praying for the prayer. I want him healed. I declare that he's healed. Is that loosening? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you're, if you're, as, if you're speaking, you know, the will of God, then you're, but I also, I think on the other hand, you can do that just as much with the will of Satan that that i mean you're you get to choose what you partner with and what you you know put your attention towards your heart towards how um, would i do it yourself part of satan <laughs> well uh, uh one example would just be witchcraft or uh occultic activity you see genuine there's genuine demonic spiritual power that comes not because the devil is showing up in the flesh and overtly doing it, but through people, you know. So you're, I, you can well, partner. I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. I know. <laughs> oh no, I don't think for a second you're going to do that. But um, does that? Does he doesn't that, mean that that's possible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You can through 
through both realms of the positive and the negative choose I'm going to partner with this and loose the will of the enemy or I'm going to do it with God um, and I think that that um, well of course I mean the Bible is uh, of course God breathed and it's really scientific and um, a lot of the things you see kind of throughout history is science catches up with things that the Bible has already sort of declared and um, I think another example of like binding and loosing an agreement is um, even to do with with um, your own bodies and things that you choose to hold on to and to cling to and um, like scientifically now our medical field uh, it's things like psychosomatic symptoms that that science is realizing how how much your emotions and things you say and things can carry into what's going on physically and um, biblically that's all the way back to things like a broken spirit will dry up your bones you know so I think part of it is that as well anyway um, I think I was getting into some of these revival notes yeah you um, got to number two yeah okay. the seven revivals in the Old Testament that was spoken and then you talked yeah. about two um, so the third one is that they uh, they were very heavily resting on the word of God and preaching and proclaiming God's law with power uh, number four is they all resulted in a strong migration and return to worship uh, of God rather than idols um, number five is that they all contain destruction of idols um, number six is that wait, 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 one second. yeah yeah <laughs> All right, five was destruction. Mm -hmm. Destruction of idols. Uh, number six was uh, strong separation from sin. Seven is that uh, all the people returned to offering blood sacrifices. Of course, that's not our case under the New Covenant, mm -hmm. thankfully. Um, number eight is uh, they all recorded restoration of great joy and gladness to the people. And uh, number nine was that they were all followed by national prosperity. And um, let's see if I skip over that. Um, Wait, this preceded revival, national prosperity, preceded. Yeah, yeah. Or during. Uh, following the revival, following. there was uh, a lot of fruit of national prosperity. Um, there's a theologian named Arthur Wallace, and he has a book called In the Day of Thy Power, which is really just to do with revival. And um, one of the things he points out is that it's really the word is determined by its usage and um, why the terminology matters. And he points out that really it had a lot of historical consistency of its meaning up until more recent years, where mainly in America, it, where revival became really sort of like this ethereal thing is sort of applied to anything and why we don't need to do that why, why we don't need to do that why we need to look at what it is so one of the things that i like like to say it's kind of funny but true is um like from the incredibles have you guys seen the incredibles with syndrome yeah. and uh one of you know his whole plan and everything is to make everybody super powered so it doesn't reduce so it reduces the weight of what it is to be that and so he says you know if everyone's super then no one will be, right? And it's sort of like that with revival. If everything is revival, then, you know, then what is it? 
if it's just if every time we have a, a big meeting and it's packed and we and it's really loud and exuberant if that's revival well you know and god i think you know it's not that speaking against that but we have to kind of recognize what these things are and why they matter and because otherwise we're not going to believe for it if revival is simply that we have you know a packed house then that's where our expectation ends um but if we recognize and look to no, there are these times where god comes and does these things that's where our expectation can lie and um Here, I'll, I'll, I'll read this story. This is a cool story. It kind of, it, it, just an, an example of like what happens in revival. So this was just something that took place in 1859 in Ireland. And um, it was in a town called Coleraine. Um, a schoolboy in class became so troubled about his soul that the schoolmaster sent him home. An older boy, a Christian, went with him. Well, no, I don't know if I want to read straight from there because it's kind of, I like telling it more than reading it directly from the thing. So essentially what happened, and no one knows their names, so what are some really good Irish names? Let's say Patrick and Seamus. So, yeah, so that'll be their names, Patrick and Seamus. So, and they're in, I think it was the, like the third grade. They're very young. Um, well, probably because at the time their schools were kind of integrated, it was probably more like third through fifth grade together in this class and um the teacher is just speaking and just i mean out of nowhere this one boy who was i think he was um 10 years old maybe nine nine or ten years old patrick just starts sobbing out of nowhere and it's just just really upset feeling really broken doesn't understand what's happening and the teacher decides to send him home and so seamus comes and it's like i'll walk him home He's a little bit older, and he knows, just by the Spirit, knows he's broken over his soul, over his sin. And so as they're walking him home, he stops in this little uh, abandoned sort of shack and tells him that he understands what's going on, and he leads him to Jesus. And instead of continuing home, he says, no, I feel like I want to go back to school. So they go back, and the teacher is surprised, like, what are you doing back here? And he tells the teacher, it's okay, I've given my heart to Jesus, and now I'm not sad anymore, now I feel happy. And she goes, okay, we'll sit down. And so as soon as he sits down, behind him, one of the other kids just breaks down sobbing. And then across here, another one, then another one, then all of them. And the teacher doesn't understand what's going on, and it's just chaotic. So then she's trying to, to control it, can't control it. And all of it migrates over to the girls. And now all the young girls are crying and sobbing. They can't control it. Then all the kids that are out on the playground playing, they're all in the same thing. They're falling down and then they're shaking. It's just, just the glory just came. And they don't know what to do. They're all uh, just um, basically cessationist Catholic and didn't have any grid for any of no, 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 they're not, I but, but these, the, no, 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 Kath, no, I'm not saying that, that as a whole they are, but this group, this group was, was cessationist. They're not Catholic then. Well, no, not, I'm, I'm not speaking, I'm, I'm not speaking against Catholics or that saying that they Catholics. They might not 
No, they weren't. They weren't true Catholics. They oh, were. They were from Jamaica. They 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 were they were traditionally Catholic, like we would say in America, like in in America, you, you the majority of people would say that they were Christian, but they aren't truly because they they don't really understand the heart of Jesus. Or does that make sense? Kind of. All right. Anyhow, go ahead with your story. They they were traditionally Catholic. They didn't they weren't they weren't born again. They they didn't know Jesus, but they they would if you ask them what do you believe, they would say they were Catholic. So in that setting they didn't have any grid, they didn't have any paradigm for what was going on. And the kids go home and they're all just continually going into this sort of state of being and the parents don't understand what's happening. And so it results in them calling together a town hall meeting because they're thinking this is some sort of plague or something or outbreak that's come upon these children. And at the town hall meeting, um, the kids are, uh, most of them at home because they can't bring them with them. And one of, and a priest gets up to sort of address it and quiet everyone down. And as he just starts speaking and trying to think of some sort of explanation, then the other priests just fall down on the front row and all that starts happening to them. And um, then it's coming on all the parents and and none of them know they have, they're, they're so far removed from any understanding of this that they're, they start like having people come that aren't being touched in that way. And they're pouring water on top of people, trying to wake them up and shake them. And like, they have no idea what's happening. And, um, it spills over from the town hall meeting where they can't control it, and they go. And it ended up for about six months. They had to have the, the priest doing shifts and going from house to house, from Coleraine to the other towns that were around it. And uh, basically just when they realized finally that it was God, even though they didn't understand it, it was just people coming under such intense conviction that it was like 24-7. So they had to do shifts of going into the houses, knocking on the doors, coming in, leading people to Jesus, or baptizing them and then leave and go into another house. And it just happened continually like that for about six months. Um, and then there was a lot of fruit that happened afterwards. But like that's one example of like a revival coming, a, a sovereign God orchestrated to balance out sort of like, yes, there is the I am revival is not a bad thing, but you need to be, we need to believe for things like that, yeah. things that we cannot do. Like that it take that's just that's nothing but the Lord's presence coming to fall upon children, you know, in a setting like that that have no idea, no no paradigm for anything. Yeah. Um, so it's that's in, it's interesting that it started with the the little boy yeah. who yeah. prayed for the yeah. other little boy yeah. that needed to repent yeah. or get pardon, and that was mm-hmm. what So Jamus, there, oh sorry, so I was just curious. Jamus wasn't at the center of that. No, he he just he he just had like one role to play, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. God was the one moving it upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really interesting because yeah. oh, sorry. sorry, no, because all the stories I hear about revival, there's like a central figure, but yeah. that one had no rep. Yep, yeah, that's really good too. Because yeah, was I, there a name of this, or like if I wanted to read more about this happening? Uh, you would ju- just search 1859. Uh, Revival in Ireland. Um, yeah, and, and um, 
Now, the thing is, Ireland has had, had many, many revivals, and a lot of them happened in very close time frames together, so you might have to look, you might have to dig a little bit to find this specific one that happened in Coleraine, but, but, um... And what's the spelling? Oh, yeah. C-O-L-E... R-A-I-N-E. But, yeah, it's very amazing. Um, so my, this is kind of like a short paragraph. My definition, what I define revival as, is a restoration of the great and terrible presence of God himself, whereby his mercy he extends his hand and lifts us from the deadness of our Christian slumber, restoring our hearts to fervent love by way of his awesome power, a holy, striking, and spontaneous work of the Spirit and his supernatural phenomena, which cannot be attributed to any natural means of origin. Subsequently, the touch of his Spirit will produce the overflow of tremendous impact outside of the church, with the accompanying elements of authentic signs and wonders and the fear of the Lord convicting sinners. And, um, let's see, we go in here too. Yeah, so like you were mentioning, marks of revivals is sort of, uh, in that definition, um, encompassing the majority of them. But one of them is is sovereignty. It's like the the Acts two one, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that that there was in God's timetable this Kairos moment, um, and like in nineteen o four with the Welsh revival, when it broke out, it it broke out in the furthest end of of northern Wales and the furthest end of southern Wales on the same day, same time, same hour, same moment, wow. at the same you know same time. <laughs> None of them were they weren't aware, you know they didn't they, there was no social media no like hey you guys are both going to have revival right this time, just <laughs> it came, and um, I'm believing for for things like that to come again. But you see that whenever there's, uh, it's happening. There's this tremendous spontaneity um, that that. It's never, it's always divine orchestration. It's never human impulse that creates it. Like, it's, you can't work up a revival. And there are no fulfilled conditions that, that are a motive force for revival happening. There, there's no set principles of if you do this, 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 and this, then it will happen. Um, but what's really interesting is, like, Charles Finney believed that, that there, and I think it, I think it was because Finney was a lawyer, a really brilliant lawyer before he was saved. And so his mind was this, 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 this. Mm -hmm. And he preached that way. Like when Finney wouldn't really like preach the way that, you know, we would hear people do it today. He basically would come and just lay out a case for Jesus and say, well, are you going to accept him or not? And if people would say no, then they're like, all right, you just, you know, resolve yourself before myself and before God that you reject his son and he'd walk out and leave them and so because Finney's uh, mind worked that way Charles Finney believed that you can meet these conditions and if you meet these conditions revival will come but God had poured out the charismata so strongly on Finney he had Finney was the anointing on him was so strong he would see revival breaking out everywhere he was going but it wasn't because of those conditions that he believed it was because of. It was because God just had elected him, and he carried it, but he didn't realize that. And so Finney believed if you do A, B, C, D, E, it'll come. 
and that's not really the case because I mean you otherwise we would be in the midst of it right now because there are did he ever realize that in his lifetime no no his whole life he believed you do this and it, and it will happen but um, yeah there, there's great spontaneity uh, there's no formula for facilitating it um, which is why another thing I like to say often is that revivals really are acts of divine mercy like all the instances one of the things I forgot to mention earlier is that there's the, over 200 times that revive is used uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament it's something like six it's very few instances of the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament word used and I think it's because God God's intention was never for us to fall away from that revived state of the church that was birthed on Pentecost. Like I, I had a like a discussion with someone one time who was like, we don't need to teach on revival because God because New Testament Christianity is revival, so we don't need to teach on it. And I was like, you know, not that you don't have a point, but the problem with that is you're forgetting human frailty. That basically all the things that we, you know, mentioned that Old Testament Israel did, we are the same way. That they continually did evil in the sight of the Lord. They continually fell away, and God would come and touch them. He'd come and raise up judges. He'd come and raise up leaders, bring them back to him. You'd worship him for a while, and then you go away, and you return to idols. And people, are, that's, I, that's just people. That's what people do again and again and again. And God mercifully comes and restores us and revives us again and again and again. And so, yes, God birthed New Testament Christianity in revival and that carried for a time but then people really kind of beginning around when Constantine was converted fell away and then God comes mercifully revives brings people back they fall away again brings you back they fall away again and so you do need to teach and contend for these things because just because God intended that doesn't mean that's what happened I mean you see historically and in our time that that isn't what happened that's like saying God never intended for anybody to lie and so we shouldn't teach that lying is wrong because God didn't intend it and Christians shouldn't lie so you know anyway um, yeah it, it, it really isn't is mercy that God comes in and does it um, let's see another uh, another mark of revival is criticism um, at whatever you study things that happen, even just like our last revival uh, led by Randy and the Arnott's in Toronto um, in 1994, one of the marks was the opposition and the criticism from within the church that came against it. And at every genuine revival you see this tremendous criticism that, that comes to it. People like when it, uh, I don't remember who the man was, but one very sensual uh, figure, Christian influencer, when Azusa Street was going on, he's, he wrote against it in the newspaper and said that it was it was the last vomit of Satan. He said that about Azusa Street, just there's always criticism that comes, strongest from within the church against revival. And another thing is that you, another mark of revival is there's huge conversion within the church from people that would say they were Christians but they weren't. Um, 
so let's see oh another another is that um along with the criticism and the that there is a great opposition from from the enemy manipulating it and uh creating a counterfeit in the midst of it or people imitating like one thing is um like one criticism that people had strongly against toronto was that people would make animal noises i was you know, just gonna say you were gonna say that yeah so, so alan hawkins you guys know alan hawkins yeah, yeah. was uh, i was spending time with him and he told me he was there when the first person did it and it was a a man from china named gideon chu and he stood up and um had said he, that he had a prophetic word and went to john arnett and got the mic and and he said my nation china has been gripped by the power of the dragon but now the lion of judah is roaring over my nation and he roared over the microphone and alan said you couldn't stand like under the weight of i mean the place came undone at the the power of the spirit when he did that but people always want to make it a formula so what happened after Gideon Chu did that is all of a sudden because it wasn't out of bad intentions it's, it's usually not out of bad intentions people saw he roared like a lion and the spirit flattened the place wow we want to do that again and so now everybody is thinking what's my animal you know what's my this and so now everybody's having prophetic words about about the dogs or about we, the cats we want to do that again. yeah we, we want to we want to right we want to do that again so then everybody started doing something that with various animals everybody had a prophetic word about a lion or a tiger or whatever because they saw the power that was attached and they were trying to mimic it they wanted it to to happen again um but you know you can't but what what about and i mean i don't i don't know that i'm just thinking what about oh okay here i am and this amazing yeah, power yeah. when he roared okay and then I prayed, Lord, I also, I prayed earnestly, mm -hmm. what animal do you, da, 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 whatever. I yeah. prayed for that. Yeah. And then God gave me, because when you pray for it, God answers. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely possible. But, but it never happened then. Like, it's, it's definitely is possible for it to happen. But, like. What I'm speaking into and what we see is that you you can't determine it. Um, like if God if God gives it, then He gives it, yes. but you can't determine it. Yes, yes. Yeah. So like that's that's like why myself or Randy or things when we're having meetings where people are receiving impartation was why we tell people like don't don't come and say like people come to me and say, can you impart to me like the gift of healing? No, you can. Now I might pray for that and God may give it but it would be because God gave it, it I, I can't determine you know it's not like a slot machine thing where you can determine what comes about you know um, you have to see what uh, Jesus said I can only do what I see the father doing or say or, when reason why I, mm -hmm. I said what I said in the back of my mind I remember I used to live in South Korea Korea, um, I think I was talking maybe a week ago, and the 
the Desert Seminary, and either he or a Catholic priest was telling me about a sister, and he said, okay, um, uh, the, the Protestant mis missionaries that went there, whatever, were very stellar. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of people that would go to <laughs> that place during that time, and okay, the belief that um, they could be Christian, that we needed to pray in tongues. They had mm -hmm. this misconception. Mm -hmm. But because they believed that, and they taught that, and that that got... So people were earnestly praying for the gift of tongues mm -hmm. because they wanted this mm -hmm. and didn't, oh, I'm not Christian if I don't have it. So because so many people prayed for it, God answered many in prayer. Yeah. So even today, you can find many women who pray in tongues. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like a mistake, the mistaken belief, but it led to prayer. Mm -hmm. and in the end, I wonder if that's an example of the type thought. You know, like he didn't intend. To yeah, do it. I mean, I think God will, you know, use and honor and move through, and does through anything. You know, I, I think God, God's used evil men and women to accomplish things that he's purposed, you know, that um, throughout history, he, he, you know, used uh, Nebuchadnezzar's and, you know, people that were against him and st still used them. It didn't mean that they were right, but he used it, you know, he used the donkeys, you know, that, so, and like Finney, you know, that's obviously a different end of the spectrum, like he had wasn't of course not an evil person by any means is um but he he had that strict you know regimen formulaic but god used him you know i mean he'll use his people with with terrible theologies that you know he still uses like um you know people like william branham that were once branham started trying to teach it you know went really by the wayside but god continued to use him until his his death um so yeah but there, there but there's that s spontaneity element and um that you that we want to see it come again like what happened in toronto but you you can't that ha it has to be your agreement with that god orchestrated cry like what gideon did to bring it about and when people started to just think well what's my version of that and replicate it, and it started happening all over the place, then it, you know, um, let's see, um, we're still on the first mark of revival, which is just the spontaneous element, um, secondly is, uh, fervent prayer, um, now this also has the sovereign element intertwined with it, like, uh, Like, like with Finney, for example, when, when he would, if you read his diaries, there would be occasions where he was traveling on horseback from city to city to city to city, and there would be these groups of people that were just intensely crying out and praying in, in intercession for revival to come, and none of, and they would be doing it at the same times, and none of them would be aware that the others existed or, or were doing it, but God orchestrated it all happening at the same time or like uh, when you look at Jonathan Edwards son-in-law David Brainerd when he was crying out in prayer uh, before the Holy Spirit came and 
moved in revival among the Native Americans, he was just, I mean, spent, you know, was totally committed to intense intercession and prayer. And even while, I mean, he had, even while having tuberculosis, he would, would pray until like the snow melted around him. Um, just intense intercession. There's the third is authentic signs and wonders. Um, if you haven't heard of these guys, look up George and Stephen Jeffries. And uh, George Jeffries, who's the younger brother, Stephen, he's, he's um, I think, the most powerful, most anointed uh, evangelist that ever came out of England. Um, sorry, what are their names? George and Stephen Jeffries. And it's Stephen with, with a P-H. And then J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-S. And uh, just the revival that was taking place in the 40s and 50s and sorry not 40s there was the 40s and 50s healing revival but before them there were George and Stephen Jeffries and um, just tremendous I mean they would like George in particular would just walk out on the platform and say the master is here and you people all around the and they would have crowds of thousands would hear audible crackling of bones being popped back into place and like and documented and it's another amazing thing to look up. The secular papers documented so many of the yeah. miracles. Um, that I mean, the way our the culture now that we have, where it's extreme hostility towards Christianity, wasn't the case up until about you know 1990. Before that, there was there was just a reverence that was for ministers or love like people loved Billy Graham. They loved Catherine Coleman. You know, she was on Johnny Carson. You know. Um, so the paper, the secular newspapers would come and document things that were happening, and like George would, you know, have people bring paraplegics up on the platform, and as they're bringing them up to him, they just are healed. Just mind blowing stuff that happened. That things, things, healings and miracles that are outside of the. It's funny to say that any of them are the norm, you know, because they're all supernatural, but are sort of things that we're used to seeing. When there's times of revival, it's just supercharged. Um, because God's really moving in a way that shows, hey, it's not, it's not him. Uh, and you can't attribute it to a, a person or a personality that it's me. So number four would be heightened manifestation of uh, power of the Holy Spirit, like travail, weeping, shaking, falling. Um, number five would be uh, fear of the Lord returning and fear of the Lord abounding and great conviction. Um, one verse that I, that I found that I like is in Psalm 64 um, 7 and it says but God shall shoot at them with an arrow suddenly they, sh they shall be wounded and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God they shall wisely consider his doing and I was thinking about these times where you see that fear of the Lord coming it, it looks like you know they've been shot with an arrow almost like I, I remember uh, just um, last week when I was in Mississippi, one of the things that's really fun is to watch God come and touch people who don't want it and don't believe in it. And they had, they had this really large youth group, lots of um, teenagers that were uh, against it, you know. And it was really one in particular that I'm remembering is is this one girl, probably 16, who was just the whole time, all the meetings, just on Instagram the whole time, and then would 
impartation time closing out she's just watching things happening around the room like just sort of judgmentally and then just gets back on her phone and I look over at her and all of a sudden she flings her phone because her hand just starts shaking like this and she grabs it and tries to stop it and it comes like, all over her and I'm like somebody bring her up here and she comes up to the front ah, down and then and her friends who see that that are atheists and then they're like she wouldn't fake that and then they start getting touched and that's so you you see that with people you know that anyway it's just this amazing thing to see um what was that scripture you said in psalms oh psalm 64 uh seven through nine and like another one would be acts 237 this says that men were pricked in their heart or acts 243 that the fear fear came on every soul um that's very prophetic for what i think is about ready to take place yeah yeah i yeah. i believe so um there's a book called old time revivals by a man named john shearer and uh one cool story in there is, is um this happened in um ulster which was uh not too far from Coleraine, which you know like a lot of these things happen around the same time in 1859 and um it's just this farmer returning from the market not a christian or anything and it says his mind was wholly intent upon the day's bargain. He pauses and takes out some money and begins to count it. Now, people were writing about this, just watching. He was just sort of at like a little convenience store or something. And uh, just suddenly, it says that an awful presence envelops him. In a moment, his only thought is that he is a sinner standing on the brink of hell. His silver is scattered, and he falls on the dust of the highway, crying out for mercy. Just, I mean, out of, out of nowhere. He's just coming home from the market and... God just comes on him. Or another Charles Finney story is that he was at a schoolhouse near Antwerp, New York, and was preaching in a meeting, and he says, An awful solemnity seemed to settle upon the people. The congregation began to fall from their seats in every direction and cry for mercy. If I had a sword in each hand, I could not have cut them down as fast as they fell. And he says, I was obliged to stop preaching. That's funny. And another one from Finney, as, well, as he was preaching, as he said, the Spirit of God came upon me with such power that it was like opening a battery upon them, or like a force of cannons coming from him. <laughs> um, and, and you see that, that those manifestations of the Spirit and the fear of the Lord, like you read, if you've never read Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God message, which is, I would say read that because, not that, you know, I agree with the theology of it necessarily, but... I would say read it because the whole thing is nothing but just, I mean, it's like, it's just this bombardment of, like, ruthless logic, you know, it's like, and as he preached it, and you look at, like, what happened with the people and the manifestation of the Spirit coming, that could never come from what he was preaching, you know, <laughs> like, What's the name again? Uh, Jonathan Edwards with Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I mean, it, the whole thing is just, like, it's, it's, it's just shows how much it was the Lord that, I, I mean, it just could have never produced in the natural what was produced from what he was. So did he correct his message after that happened? He, he became, he actually became basically an, an, apolog, an apologist for revival because he had so many that were coming against him and what was happening. And, um, like, his apologetics were primarily defending revival because he knew 
okay, I'm not a heretic, but this is happening in front of me when I'm preaching. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's the Lord, so he, he became. And the thing was that really did it for him was um, he was always very serious, very rigid, and didn't have a lot of personal manifestations. But when everything broke out after that message, his wife was known as, like, the biggest, you know, drunk in the spirit of the whole <laughs> group. I mean, she's every time always just out, you know, like kind of like how you see Heidi when she comes to the U.S. It's just like his wife, you know, so. They went from Saul to Paul. Yeah, it was, it was really intense. Um, let's see. What time are we supposed to take? I don't remember what time we're supposed to take a break. We're like, good. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, um, can I say something here? Um, back yeah. when you were talking um, about, God just brought this up to me. Yeah. Um, we can't direct God's hand. Yeah. Yeah. And that is true. But one thing He just showed me was Moses with the Israelites. Yeah. It's like God says, yeah. Let me alone. I'm yeah. going to destroy them. I'll raise you yep. up. Yep. And Moses literally went to bat. Yeah. 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 And it, it so impressed me that it's like we have that same calling because we are the sons and the daughters of God. Mm-hmm. We can go to bat. Mm-hmm. That's true. And if we don't go to bat, there may not be hope. Yeah. Not saying God's out to destroy, but we have a responsibility to mm-hmm. go to bat for people. Yeah. That yeah we can greatly influence oh yeah to, to bring about yeah whatever he wants mm-hmm. so absolutely yeah. i still struggle with that you know knowing that we can influence god like i i just think that's i remember having this dream where he made fun of something that i said in the day and then when i woke up i was like you made fun of me like i had an influence on you you were laughing at me <laughs> and then you like you sarcastically like poke fun at yeah. me and it's like i can influence you <laughs> you know it's, but yeah i'm still struggling yeah i think let's take like a 10 minute break or so and then come back and then we'll pick up back on because that that's very important when you were yeah. when you were mentioning so oh yeah let me stop this for canaan and get going so um let's see mary did you have a there was something you were going to ask me or a question or something like that um, or tell me no i just wanted to talk to you a little bit about catholic stuff i just wanted to talk to you uh individually oh sure later. yeah Maybe yeah okay. yeah it's not uh it's not related to yeah yeah and so and to clarify again like i've totally aware catholics are not cessationists just so you know that i that i like yeah actually i want to say if you say up here if you don't know i i'll go ahead and say if you don't know it may appear they're cessationists because they would have no experience like this kind of revival they wouldn't understand that's the holy spirit yeah but actually um catholics probably in that pool or whatever the children were baptized as infants. Mm-hmm. So for Catholics, that's when we enter the kingdom of God. Like mm-hmm. Protestants believe, okay, we say a prayer, we mm-hmm. um, 
Jesus is going to enter, we're going to repent, and mm-hmm. Jesus is going to enter our heart. Like that's kind of a moment of from the darkness to the light. Yeah. But for yeah. Catholics, because in the Bible where it says about the to be born of the Spirit and mm-hmm. water. Yep. So we yeah. view the baptism mm-hmm. and that the conversion is supposed to be continual throughout Absolutely. our life. Absolutely. And it's supposed to be when we're confirmed, which is another sacrament, it's supposed to be that's when it would be evident that the Holy Spirit has come yeah. to us. Yeah. It's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> so I would so yeah, that's the French like I never heard that word before. And all of the prayers like in the bat I mean you can't go to any Catholic service service without the prayers are always invoking the Holy Spirit. It's oh yeah, all absolutely. About the Holy Spirit. The only thing is, um, it's like the Holy Spirit's not activated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, what I, what I meant by this is that I I don't believe that the majority of them were. How can I say it? They they weren't they weren't necessarily practicing Catholics, if I can say that, or like friends of mine that. Um, I'm thinking of one guy I'm thinking of uh, one of the first uh, healings I saw out in evangelizing was um, a guy who was like 17 or 18 who um, went to a Catholic school said he was Catholic but had, had never that is a lot. never done <laughs> it done this, anything to I don't know this story but I already know the story yeah but had had he had never he had no experiential relationship with with the Father whatsoever, or no life of prayer, no. I mean, I, yeah, I, I understand because yeah, we're full of the right. That, so that's kind of what I mean. Where they were at, but, they were but in. I th- you know, um, of course, I wasn't there, and I haven't mm-hmm. been to that area of Ireland, but just because of the date mm-hmm. and that, you know, Catholicism. Catholicism came to Ireland um, through St. Patrick, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. probably at that time, if they were Catholic, their families were very practicing Catholic. Today in our society, we can find millions like you experience, I'm Catholic, mm-hmm. but yeah, no relationship. Yeah. So probably their families were very devout at that time, being in Ireland, is just a guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure there were a good, a great many that were, uh, but the, the, um, at least the people that sort of God was focusing on touching at that time, those recorded were were the ones who were not really in that place um, for that for that specific thing that happened at Coleraine. But there were many. Um, now they actually the people that were very devout were many that were were recruited in and told to go on those ships and to lead the people to the Lord that knew what to do. Um, so, so it was kind of a mixture of those different things. Um, but I, yeah, what you were mentioning about Moses, I think is very, um, important and, uh, is something that, um, that I uh, touched on 
um, while I was in both Mississippi and Louisiana, and, and something I'll be mentioning while I'm filming uh, on Friday about the whole thing of like revival and sovereignty and obedience, but the fact that you can petition him and he'll respond is huge to understand. And um, yeah, like what you were mentioning is of Exodus 33 and 12 through 16, which says, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me lead these people, and like you were saying, it's it's in the context of God's basically like you've got more grace than me right now. I've given up. You know, I can't deal with this anymore. And uh, Moses said to the Lord, "You've been telling me lead these people, but you've not let me know women have sinned with me. You have said I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people." My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I will only know that you are pleased with me, and with your people, unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And another one is, is really crazy in 2 Kings 20 um, with Hezekiah.
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's just an amazing thing to see that that is a reality. And it's part of, you know, it's a mystery we don't understand because it's also like, um, you know, the, the scriptures that we have, such as God's not a man that he should lie or that he doesn't change his mind like a man. There's no shadow of variation or there's no turning. And so it's sort of like, okay, wait a second. He doesn't change his mind as we do. He, he doesn't, he's not fallible. Like, is that true? Yes, that's true. Well, what about Moses and, and Hezekiah and Mary and all these other individuals who it seems like they, they pull on him and get him to, to do these things? Is that true too? Yes, yeah, both of them are true at the same time. And I, I don't think it is, I don't believe that it is God changing his mind. I think that God doesn't let us know everything. Like, I not just think I know he doesn't let us know everything that's going on. And we also know that he, what he looks for in human hearts. And I think that, that it's not him changing his mind. I think he's sort of has this answer or this secret or this thing tucked away. And he's looking to see, are they going to ask? Are they going to seek? Are they going to knock? And the moment when people start doing it, he reveals and he lets it go. So that's what I think is happening. Um, so it's kind of like Jacob when he was wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he didn't give up. Yeah. And it was a part of that, like yeah. coming to that real- realization mm-hmm. as we shifted his identity mm-hmm. and he kept petitioning, saying, You're going to yeah. bless me. Yeah. <laughs> and it flipped his identity. So yeah. The scripture, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, I, I know it. I, don't, I just don't know where it's at. Uh, heart of God can conceal a matter. Mm-hmm. Yep, the glory of kings to search it out. placed in the, the hearts of kings to search that out. Yep. It's not hidden yeah, yeah. for us that we can't get it. Yeah. It's hidden for us to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the question is like at some point you feel you're forcing, like you feel like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, right? Because it's God. Yeah, yeah you can. I think you can. What, that's, that's why what the Lord spoke to me about Smith was such a huge paradigm shift for me is I was realizing like, okay, well, wait a second. This is, it is possible to move you through moving your heart. That happens when I align my heart with yours. And I think it's God's, like, I, th- I think about that when I think of, of things like, whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will be given unto you. It's like, what does that mean to ask in his name? I don't think it just means you can slap in Jesus' name onto whatever. God, in the name of Jesus, give me a Corvette right now, and then you just get a Corvette. You know, like I mean, it's either like this has to be true, or it's not. So if that's true, if it just means I can add in Jesus' name onto anything, and the Father will give it unto me, then the Corvette would be given right here. You know, if if that. But so okay, obviously that doesn't mean what we've kind of taken it to mean. So what is it? I think. It's in his namesake, according to his nature, according to his character, according to his intentionalities, his desires. And when you ask according to him, then he will give of himself unto you. Um, and so then that's kind of like, okay, so what is, what is, what is asking according to his name? What is, what is it that he intends? What is it that he desires? And how can I position myself to be aligned with what it is that, that he wants? Like, I really love Psalms 84:11 that says the Lord of God is a sun and shield. He'll give grace and glory. And then closes with saying, no good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly. 
as like, okay, what is it? What does that look like? What does it look like to walk uprightly before you? And it's not, you know, works based. It's through yielding. It's through surrender. And like, my if I lay down my heart, the fruit of that will be an upright life. And in that posture, then I position myself for for no good thing to be withheld from me. You know, um, and I think about that again, like with Smith, that that he realized if I position myself here, this is sort of like put, like God's got this faucet or this fountain of his water that's pouring out and he's like come unto me all who and and drink and it's just positioning yourself under that faucet so yeah but i but i love what you're mentioning there but it is the it's the work of surrender mm-hmm. um with our withhold from those who are upright. walk uprightly yeah is that because of the verse uh the psalms psalms 84 11 84 mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. This is good. This is fun. Um, you guys have anything else that's on your mind, or questions, or comments, or? Yes. Yeah. Um, you touched on this last week, and I know there's no set answer to this, but um, you know, talking about the different revivals, like why were so many of them around uh, like end after 30 years um or it, it seems like that was yeah you yeah know, like why i think kind of twofold like i i um i do i differ from let me make sure i had i think i had it recorded yeah i do um i differ from some people that i really love and really respect um, at least I think I do. Now, I haven't really... Sometimes people say some things and, and their beliefs behind it may be a bit more complex than what they say would lead you to believe. So I don't know. But but I'm thinking of like Bill Johnson in particular. I differ in um, if he does believe this and believing that uh, God desires that revivals don't end. I differ there because... I, I, now, I think, and Bill, that may not be what Bill really believes, and he's just, you know, because um, I, I haven't asked him um, more deeply on that question, but I, I believe, and he may be referring to this as well, that God intends for the fruit of what the revival produces to be ongoing, yeah. but that, the, that if it genuinely is a revival, you our human bodies can't cannot be sustained in that right so i don't i don't think god has any desire for it to be endless i mean you couldn't function you know like it's amazing thinking of like 1904 what happened in wales that the businesses shut down and people weren't going to work and things well your economy is going to plummet pretty rapidly if that continues onward you know if nobody can work if people are you can't live your whole life out on your face you know what i mean yeah so so but in revivals that 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 intensity of the presence and the glory is you can't live in that and, and uh, he's having life that's sustainable um, so I think part of it is there's that side that, that I don't think that they're meant to be endless but that the fruit should continue onward um, the other side is 
interestingly, and I don't remember if I if we touched on this last week or not, I don't know, but interestingly, when the revivals are ending, everyone that I've studied, uh, other than now some of them, God just what he intended to accomplish was accomplished, and it and it just sort of ceases. But the majority of them all come to a halt pretty quickly, and it's never to do with anything demonic or or warfare in that sense. It's always because humans try to manipulate it, mm-hmm. and that stops it. Um, which is, you know, kind of again back to like what uh, Greg Laurie and the other guy realized like when they prayed for it to stop and it stopped and they said that's when I realized that we were in control you know um, you I the the role that you have in partnering to to see these things come about is 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 massive um, and I just think it's it's really interesting that like the Holy Spirit's moving and no matter how much demonic is stirred up that never shuts it down ever. It doesn't matter what the devil is doing. God continues to work. But what shuts it down is when humans come and and try to control it, try to regulate it, try to make it be this way, that just flattens it. And uh, you see that, you know, again and again and again. Even as, as, as recent as um, 95 in Brownsville, that's yeah. what happened. I mean, it was... And it's not, you know, it's common knowledge, you know, what happened with them splitting and Michael Brown leaving and everything with John Kilpatrick and the fallout. But as soon as all of that division came in, I mean, it just dwindled down to basically nothing really rapidly. Um, I don't think that God intent wanted that for Brownsville. So, yeah. Yes, I was there. You were there? Yeah, yeah, when I was a teenager. Was it in 95, like right in the in the height of it? Uh, I was there in 97, hmm. and um, I, didn't, I didn't go in 95. Um, I went in 97 and went back like was several Steve, times w- a year. Was Steve Hill Steve still Hill there? Steve Hill was there. He was still there? Yeah, he was still there. And that's what I think about. I'm like, well, how, how could it end? Yeah. I mean, it ended after a few years, and, you know, at the time being there I never thought it would end and yeah. but now I'm learning like a lot of these revivals yeah. and um but I do see lots of fruit mm-hmm. that was produced from that revival mm-hmm. yeah. and um and so many different ministers and ministries that was that were birthed from that revival um but then you know I know um humans could get in the way yeah. and yeah i was just with him. some people um in mississippi who were there with uh daniel kalinda when he went witnesses before and after and everything and yeah i don't i don't think god desired that for brownsville for it to t- turn out the way that it did and um you know certain things just well i mean you kind of and i agree with randy i don't think brownsville and toronto were two separate moves i just think it was God, there are definitely separate locations, but I think yeah. it was the same. They were both, this revival was coming at the same time, both right. in Florida and in uh, Toronto. Um, but you, there's a difference in, like, Toronto, it's certainly been, was stewarded excellently, but it just sort of, it, God just sort of, it waned over time, and there was none of that 
the things that happened in Brownsville didn't happen in Toronto. That division piece wasn't there. There, none of those things were really there behind the scenes. There was unity with the people. They were stewarding it well, and it just gradually, you know, sort of, it's still ongoing and there's still amazing fruit, but the intensity just slowly lifted off over, you know, it had a few years of being very strong and gradually just waned um, versus, you know, Brownsville coming to a halt. I think that God would have, have, would have uh, kept it going much longer had it not been for the the other things that were occurring. But yeah, you, whenever things are, um, whenever the revivals are occurring, um, it's always something with, with the human element that, that ends it usually. Um, and it could, you know, even it could be things like physical, uh, preparation as well. Like, and with Evan Roberts, he, I mean, he just virtually took no care of himself at all and, um, led to him having a nervous breakdown, mental breakdown, physically collapsed. He probably, probably had adrenal fatigue and was just, he couldn't do anything anymore. Um, and that just, you know, basically squelched the whole thing. Um. So you're saying we need to get healthy, yeah. like go to the gym in order mm-hmm. to prepare for revival. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, because, I mean, like... <laughs> you never think of that. Like, uh, if you study, like, in the 40s and 50s healing revival, a lot of the different figures that were used there, one of the most anointed was Jack Coe. But, um, I, and Kenneth Hagen actually said that he thought Jack Coe had... had the greatest anointing for healing of anyone of his generation and he's you know really offensive type of person like you know people would be there on crutches and kick the crutches out from under them but they would stand up you know um but he was really overweight and um i mean that's really what what killed him is that and you, you can't be um you, I mean, your your humanity doesn't go away. You know, it's not. You don't. You don't come into so much of the glory that you're. That it's just. You know, and, but people don't think about that, um, typically, or don't like to hear it, um, and, that did him in. Um, and many people, and you just can't. Be in that place and be traveling and going and doing all this. I mean, Rand is what Randy realized when he uh, had his heart attack a few years ago, was, you know, you can't be just living off of Coca-Cola and eating all these big dinners that people want to take you out to at, like, midnight or later after meetings and and go and fly from Europe to Africa to Asia back to here. And, like, you can't live in that way for long. You know, it's going to... He calls us to be stewards. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, a man of God that uh, that I've followed for a number of years, uh, Kenneth Copeland. Yep. Had said about God really challenged him because he started crashing and burning. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know what's going on here?" And God says, "I told you to do A, B, and C."
example more. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I've only called you to do this, and you've got more than enough energy and resources and all that to do it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you add where I didn't tell you to add. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, we, we need to be good stewards. And we're, I know personally, uh, man, that's, that's, that's a learning stage for me. Yeah. It really yeah. is. It is, yeah, and, and you're kind of in the tension of, you know, like I, I think about that a lot with myself for things that I'm going in, like especially meetings that are larger that I do where there's so many people that are waiting for prayer, people lay hands on them, and and you're, you're, you get in this place of compassion where you don't want to stop. You want to keep going, keep, I mean, that's why, that's why like my, my role when I was with Randy and others, you have to, you have to make him leave because he doesn't want to stop praying for people. The more you do it, the more you get into the into the compassion for people and what they're going through. You don't want to stop. You want to stay and minister to everyone for hours. And there's times you can do it. There's times where there's a grace where you can do it, but you can't continually do it and be okay. I, it will collapse you. Like there were there was a time like in Oral Roberts' life where it's an in, this is kind of a rabbit trail, but it's interesting to see like kind of the different ways that God moves and graces people and like William Branham would hardly ever have to lay hands on anyone it would just be the word of knowledge and the declaration and, and healing and Oral Roberts would not very would it was pretty rare for him to move in words of knowledge at all um, it was just everything was just through his hands so he would just sit in the chair on the end of the stage and just lay hands on people and it's long healing lines just again and again and again and there were there were times where he sometimes for a few weeks couldn't lift his his arm couldn't lift his left arm I mean literally just couldn't lift it because he prayed for so many people as the anointing was moving things that he just it was like it was dead for a couple weeks he'd have to lay in bed and recover and Catherine Coleman same thing and Amy Stephen McPherson would have to spend sometimes days and days or weeks in bed just recovering from just physically exhausting themselves uh, preaching again and again and again praying for people again and again and again and you know it's I mean I haven't been in that place to know how much is you don't really know how much is this okay I should be doing things a little bit better here to take care of myself or is just this is part of the price of the apostolic suffering that you pay, that you pay for, you know, it to be on you and you to be operating in it. It's just part of it. And I think probably strong elements of both um, together. But yeah, I do I do think there there really needs to be a lot of wisdom in, in how you take care of yourself, what you're doing, how you're preparing, and um, like Randy's generation, like with, I've had talks with him where he said, like at the time praying, you know, God. If you'll touch me, I'll, I'll. That will be the issue of my life. Like I won't let it go. I'll, I'll run as hard as I can after this. And he said yes to everything virtually that was to go everywhere to uh, every speaking invitation. And I and I don't think that that's necessarily what you need to do. Like I know I'm not planning on doing that. Should there be? I mean I don't know. Should there be something like that that comes upon my life? Uh, that sort of a grace or should there be really a reviving um, I'm not 
you know, I don't have any intention of doing that. The, regardless of what the demand is, I'm like, you know, my wife first, my family first, and, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's how it's going to be. Um, so, yeah. Brian, what do you think about the phrase that we have a green light until God says stop? So it's not a red light mm. until God says go, but yeah. it's a green light until God says stop. Because it kind of ties into what I don't know if I've heard that before. Oh, we've heard it a couple times. <laughs> Is that um, kind of like, I'm guessing that's that's like with evangelism. like for. Yeah, I think evangelism, but just like in general, like it pri- privately... Privately and yeah, what God wants to like, like when you God wants you to do something. Leave the school, mm-hmm. so I'm here at the right. school. Right, you're yeah. making decisions about your life. Yeah, I, like I think go, go, I go, think that go. can that can be true. Um, like what well, some is kind of funny was when I, uh, in Louisiana when I was closing out the Relentless Conference, I had this whole thing I was planning on getting into, and God, you know, scrapped it and said, I want you to ask the people if they've heard of lead poisoning and <laughs> tell them that the church is suffering from felt lead poisoning. From what? Felt lead poisoning. Felt? And uh, felt like lead. would people say, I don't feel led to do that. You know, I don't feel led to go oh, or to do this. Ah. Which was, you know, it's a pretty funny thing, but it's like what I felt like God told me is that talk about how the church is suffering from, from felt lead poisoning. And in other words, like you know, like I remember earlier on when I was really overcoming like intimidation with praying for people and things and it would be like I'd be in the store and hear the Holy Spirit clearly be like go in and minister to this person and I would be like okay I'm going to go over here to the other side of the store for like 10 minutes (laughs) and God if I come back and she's still there like in the same spot then I'll really know that you want me to pray for her and I would like go and do that and then you know you come back and she's still there and you're like okay I'm gonna check out and like go out to the car if she, let her car be parked next to mine and like let her pass by me <laughs> and if she does that like that's how I, I'll really know it's you you know and we, it's like we set up all these roadblocks and things that like we're looking for all these neon bright blinding lights of confirmation when he's just said go go and do it and yeah. I think that that can be really true uh, but then the danger of it is again you can you can get in such an attitude of go that you can neglect uh, rest that God wants you to have like I was just spending time with um, one of the guys who was with us in Louisiana his name um, Paul Keith Davis I don't know if you, any of you guys have heard of him but um, I, I think he say Florida is where he lives. Um, yeah, he came to Global a few years ago. Okay. He just didn't have a contact there. Okay. Yeah, Paul Keith is a, a great, great guy. Um, but, and he's he's been friends with, you know, many really pivotal people like Bob Jones, very close to Bob Jones. Um, and he was also really close friends with Paul Kane. And, uh, um, he talked about how he was having a conversation one time, or Paul Kane was telling him a story about um, one night when he was uh, really had been 
kind of he, Paul Kane left the ministry for a long time. Um, basically, when he when he was in his I think his early thirties, and really the reason he left was he was kind of launching in the midst of the fifties healing revival, and was so frustrated with everybody's character issues and things like Jack Coe that I mentioned earlier. Uh, one of, like there was all this controversy and strife over like who has the biggest healing tent. And Or Roberts, who was advertised, had the biggest healing tent. So Jack Coe went and literally like stretched out the pegs of his tent by six inches all the way around so that he would have a bigger tent than Or Roberts and advertise it in the paper. I have a bigger tent than, than him. And just all these things like that. There were just these petty, you know stuff that was going on he, he just he was like this is so so impure and so he didn't want anything to do with it and um as he was sort of returning to ministry he was really running hard and and was much older then and um really just in that zone and one night when he got back to his hotel room um he sat down on the bed and he said all of a sudden this this light shows up and jesus steps out and Jesus sits on the bed in front of Paul Cain. And he's watching this. And, um, oh, so let me back up a bit. Just before that happened, Paul Cain was feeling so exhausted. And he was praying, God, I need rest. I just need some rest. Please give me rest. Like he, I've been tr- having trouble sleeping. And Jesus shows up and sits on the bed. And he looks at Paul Cain and says, rest. It's been 26 years since he rested in me. And Paul Keith said he never forgot that, that that he had been so caught up in, in ministering for the Lord that it, it had been, um, what Jesus said was 26 years since Paul had just rested in him rather than focusing on all these other things that we focus on that, I mean, like, yes, of course, Jesus calls us and it works in the kingdom and all this stuff, but if if you're not in that place of resting in him and abiding and I mean it's it's not that the things aren't good that you do but it, it's ultimately like what is what is the point yeah. you know if you lose that like even in uh, the letters to the various churches in Revelation uh, to the church at Ephesus you know they're, they're commended for standing against false teachers and and for their service and all these things and it says but I have this one thing against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first you know like that's everything it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if I lead the whole world to the Lord if I don't rest in him myself you know it's yeah really really a big deal and um, and you see that unfortunately with so many people that are in revival that it, it can become so really become a, a very unhealthy burden almost of the work of you know you can you can abandon the resting in God for the work of God and that's not really a place where we we need to live you know got about an hour left and then I want to pray for you guys after that um, 
anything else you're feeling? Anything you want to kind of jump into from here or anything on your mind? Or, I mean, I've always got, you know, just notes or stuff that I could teach, but this is more fun for me. I don't like using this term, but playing the devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. We were talking earlier about, um, you know, burning out and, mm -hmm. and or after three years of revival, it's just like it has to stop because, yeah, yeah. you know, it, you know, the economy and this and that. But Moses and, and the children walked through the desert without having to work and their clothes never wore out their mm -hmm. shoes never wore out mm -hmm. um, there's a fine line there somewhere you know, yeah. I mean, yeah yeah you have to do you know this for God and you have to completely trust God mm -hmm. that he's going to take care of everything I mean we have a responsibility but in that same token, or in that responsibility, are we relying on him in faith, yep. in total yep. faith? That's true, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just yeah. questioning. I'm throwing yeah. it out there because yeah. I, I, I have not arrived. Yeah, that's totally, you <laughs> so. know, it, it is, you see both of those. I mean, even with um, like that same group of people, look at what they did with the manna, you know, when they're called to just trust and be dependent, and they start... Oh, maybe it's not going to be here the next day, hoarding it up, and, you know, see how that turned out. Um, so, I mean, yeah, and it's um, really amazing to think about what God did there, that, that they uh, were led, and, and especially the healing, that how many millions of people there were, and it said that there wasn't, it says in the Psalms that there was not one sick or feeble or one stumbling among them. And, you know, not only was it that they were kept healthy, it would have been divine healing upon them all because, I mean, they were all slaves. They were all, you know, like, worked nearly to death people under tremendous burden, physical burden. And the fact that they were so revived that there wasn't one sick among them is... The, the is word, the word talks about that when yeah. they left. They left yeah. that land. Yeah. There was not one feeble amongst them. God, they were just beaten to the core. Mm -hmm. What took place in that 24-hour period? You know, was it was it just in a 24-hour period? I, I don't know. I, I yeah. Would, I would. I, I. That's some questions that yeah. if if I can ask, I want to find out. Yeah. I know Randy Randy believes that they were healed when they were instructed to to uh, were given the instructions about the doorpost and to sit and to eat. He believes yeah that during the at, at the Passover he believes that the healing took place then as a foreshadowing of healing that would be in the atonement and in the communion in the New Testament. Um, I don't know. I mean you no one knows. But I think that's I think that's a pretty good guess. Yeah, of, um, but it is really amazing to see. And yeah, I think it is it is both of those. Like there is, um, God definitely gives gives grace to endure and to go and to be pressing in. I mean, Oral would, you know, have the times 
like we were speaking of, but he still could do it. He still could endure. He still could go. Still could pray for them. I think Randy has absolutely been for years under a supernatural energy. Um, I mean, it's, I could never be convinced otherwise. I mean, when I was traveling with him, like there were so many like different types of things. But one of the craziest was one time we'd been ministering to people all day totally exhausted worn out and he wants to work out in the evening and challenged me to a push-up contest and he did over a hundred at at, after we had been ministering all day exhausted and he's 66 years old did over a hundred and beat me like he did something like 115 120 push-ups that's why he challenged you it was his forte yeah (laughs) i mean it was just crazy like and sometimes he would hurt himself, sadly, like one time he, because he, I would do normally more weightlifting workouts, he would do more cardio and things like that, and sometimes he would, he would want to do what I was doing, and then would hurt himself a little bit, or one time, when Dennis was traveling with him, he gave himself a hernia, trying to copy Dennis' workout, but, I mean, I think that's supernatural energy, to be able to do, and that wasn't a normative thing for him, he wouldn't normally do push-ups or things like that, he just... He's really competitive too, so that's a part of it. But I mean, the fact that that the fact that he can be in the airports and and write books to relax, he writes books. That's just. I mean, anyone who's like, if you spend any time with him, I think it really has been a supernatural energy that's been upon him. I think God definitely has that side too. But then the other part of it is you can you know you can get caught up in that space and when the grace is lifted and then you try to do it outside of the grace and you burn yourself out. So that makes me wonder with the Paul Cain story. If if Paul Cain had rested in Jesus that whole time, maybe he wouldn't have come to that place of exhaustion. Yeah. Maybe that was Jesus' point. Yeah. Was he here because he had been resting. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what's your opinion if we are active but resting in Jesus what does that look like? How do we access that, that like active rest? I don't know. Um, I I think that the the probably the best way to strike the balance of them would simply be to ask God, what should I be doing right now? Rather than uh, typically what we do is just kind of think, strike while the iron's hot and jump at everything. And I think the, that it would be of more wisdom to, to defer to inquiring first. Like, what, what, what do you want me to do right now? What, like, this, I might have these things that I'm prioritizing, but what, what are your priorities? What do you want me to do? What do you, where do you want me to go? And kind of trying to live in that place, which is hard to do when you're, you know, it, it's it's hard to do when you're you're the seeing the needs, you're seeing the people, you're seeing these things that you want to do, and and feeling compassion for them. And you're not only your human compassion, but you're feeling God's compassion for them. And you can just forget to stop and slow down and say, "Okay, God, what is it right now that you're wanting me to do?" Like when we were just uh, in Louisiana. Justin was supposed to be with us, but he um, 
prayed about it, and God told him, I don't want you to go to Louisiana. And so he didn't come, you know, and that's, I think, was good to do, too. We missed him, but, you know, if God's not leading you, you shouldn't do it, I think. Um, yeah, and I think that was Jesus' point to Paul Cain was you've, you've been living this way rather than living this way. You know, if you, if you had been resting in me, you wouldn't be in this great need for this rest in the moment that you're crying out for. It's like, I've, I've been here all along, you know, waiting for you to be in that place with me. So, yeah. Yeah. Anything else on your guys' minds? Or? What do you think about brush off or dust off type of prayers after a meditation? Oh. Um, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth. I don't know if I have a really solidified opinion of it. Um, I, I think it, like a lot of things, I think it can be good and bad. Like I think the same thing about inner healing that um, like there are you know people that we love and honor um, that have some very wrong extreme views of like that you know really prominent people like that believe they should know the reality of inner healing and it's like you know you're throwing away a lot of New Testament work there that has to do with the healing of the heart and what I mean no inner healing is how you end up with you know, Todd Bentley's, you know, that's, you don't want that, you know, it's, you know, it's just, it's how you end up with, with people who, despite gifting and traveling and things are severely broken and project that onto others, um, so, I mean, you can't, you know, that's really dangerous to deny the reality of inner healing, but what some people, I recognize what they mean is it can become unhealthily introspective and a lot of inner healing ministries have unfortunately kind of gravitated into a place where it, it's sort of it's sort of like you're looking at it again and you're, and you're like at what point is anyone ever whole you know or I, I mean we're never we're never we're not in, uh, until eternity ever going to fully be at that place you know it's like the saying that people have like the god only has wounded healers is, is a true like there's that's part of the glory in it is that he works through broken business but there is a fact that you know like Jesus wants to break chains he's not looking to just polish them you know he wants to transform you he's not just doesn't just want to modify behavior you know or, or we're going from glory to glory not from bondage to bondage to bondage you know he wants you to be whole and some things it's sort of like okay, at what point does any of this click, you know? Like, how how much do I need to go back and bring this thing up and repent for this and repent for this and repent for this and repent for this and repent for this? And some of it goes into really off the deep end into that place. It's very unhealthy. But there is the other side, too, of um, the fact that it is reality. is something you need. Anyway, that's, that's not really... No, this is good. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I kind of think that with, with dusting off, like, one thing you see... Um, like I think Jake's here today, right? Jake Kale yeah. teaching yeah. first years. Yeah. 
Jake, I what what I really love about Jake is the balance he has on deliverance, and that a lot of deliverance things. I think I think that the enemy can can even use some things in ministry to trap you, and you're not aware of it. And I think he does that with a lot of people that get into deliverance, as they get obsessed with the devil, like, and they're not realizing it. But you know, if 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 everything is the moment that something stops being Christ focused, it's you know that's you're slipping, and um, a lot of deliverance stuff gets into just an obsession with like what's the name of this demon and that demon and everything that we have to do and 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 things like, I mean. Every time when you go into a hotel room, make sure that you always bind up all the demonic spirits that are in the hotel room, and otherwise they're going to attack you <laughs> in your sleep and all this stuff. I mean, I've had people come at me with so many things like that, and I'm like, man, I just get there, and the Lord's with me, and I go to sleep, and I get up, and I go to the meeting and minister, and like, I don't go into the hotel room and, and walk through a list of 20 steps to bind all the spirits in the region and all these things. And like, again, sometimes God may direct you to do something like that, but you know it, it, there can be this really unhealthy obsession with 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 these things um and so i th- i've seen that with with the dusting prayer stuff like people that just sort of are kind of get into a compulsion uh and compulsive habits of like every time anyone you interact with like you have to you know make sure that you're not that none of that stuff like got on you that you're carrying and it's like forgetting that greater is he who's in you than he who's you know in the world reality that you know like i don't have a fear of like if i go places and people come up and they're like i have a word for you whatever want to pray for you i'm not fearful of if i don't think if they touch me and there's something of an impurity yeah i I, like i'm I'm not thinking let's say this person has you know uh, whatever some sort of addiction i don't think that's going to get on me that they pray for me, you know, I, and I, but I, on the other hand, there are some times where just stuff comes and, and, um, it has some sort of residual effects. Like, uh, when I was ministering in Salem, uh, during their witchcraft festival on Halloween, the majority of the time it was, you know, like people would think, a lot of people would think, oh, don't go into that type of environment. It's going to be, you know, it's all this stuff is... And it wasn't that. That's other than Brazil, the easiest I've ever seen people healed it was in Salem in the middle of the witchcraft festival. Um, I mean, it was like almost comical, like how easy it was. Like people that, oh, you have metal in your wrist? Yeah, I do. I can't move it this way. Well, try to move it now. And then they're healed. Just over and over and over and over. So easy. But there was one moment there where uh, someone came and. Uh, spoke a curse over myself and over Justin and we and we felt so weird and off and disoriented for like several hours until praying and it feeling it lifted so sometimes sometimes yeah that something like that can happen for sure um, but I don't like the it bothers me when it gets into like an obsession with like a constantly having to do it you know after after everything and um, I mean I've been on a lot of trips where people, you know, would be really into doing that and want me to be involved. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And they sort of look at you like, you've, just, <laughs> you've damned yourself, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I feel good. 
I, I love Jesus. I'm happy with him. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anything else before we... Questions, comments, things you're thinking about, curious about? I mean, it, it can be about anything. It doesn't have... Nuts yeah. In the oh, I love him. Center. You know, he he's he became um, friends with the Protestant to learn more yeah. about whatever, and then he had this. He himself had this amazing healing ministry. So, okay, uh, the teaching of that. Okay, I don't know so much, but the teaching of that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Francis, Francis um, has really powerful teachings on that, on on so many things, um, and and he's absolutely right. Yeah, there are you know definitely circumstances that where that's needed, and I've done I've done it a lot um, when uh, especially um, when I've been been dealing with things where there's a lot. There's a lot of intense demonization. Um, I prayed, you know, usually not extensively, but but praying uh, on those occasions afterwards, like just, you know, usually for peace is what I've found is that the enemy tries so hard to usurp your peace. And as most often what I end up, you know, whether you would call it dusting or whatever, um, I'm praying often for God let me like recenter my peace, recenter my focus on you. That sort of Isaiah twenty six three, like you keep those in perfect peace whose heart is stayed on you and you're trusting you. Praying that a lot after after those moments. Um, because you have a lot of things that you know that will I mean, that rattle you and even just even with take sort of some of the spiritual aspects aside, just and the natural Kind of, you're not. It bothers you even psychologically when you see, like a lot of intense demonization. You're not used to seeing people behave that way, move that way, and it just you don't feel really at peace normally. And so, the primary dusting off or cleansing that I do has been praying for peace to be restored. Um, yeah, but that's that's a really good point about Francis. So I have a question. Um, I don't know how often you travel, but while you're traveling, how do you stay filled up? How do you, this is your, I'm not asking you about your daily devotions, but like, how do you stay full of the spirit? I just uh, pray and, and worship as I'm 
as I'm going. I don't have, I mean, there's sometimes I have a lot of time that I get to do it, which is great. There's sometimes where, you know, you're busy rushing through the airport and get there and you have maybe 30 minutes at the hotel where you're going and doing meetings and you have a couple minutes where you do it. But in that couple minutes, I'm making sure I'm pouring out my heart to God, telling telling him how thankful I am for what I'm doing, expressing love, and um, that's really it. It just you know, just a continuous. No matter how much time I have, I mean, all throughout the day, whether I can really be in like an intense intercession or not, um, I'm constantly throughout the day just dialoguing with God about about everything. Um, and most of the time, I I won't hear really anything back. I don't hear, you know, I'm just, thank you, God. Thank you for this. Thank you, God. Thank you for Camden. Thank you that I get to do this. Thank you for this person in my life. and Or just, wow, this is a really cool thing. Thank you that we get to have this, you know, do this. Um, it's pretty, you know, simple in that. And um, another thing that really, that I always feel really refreshed is, um, I always try to make sure that I can be present whenever we are going to be in, in worship. Like I don't, I don't like to, like not be there for any of the worship or praising and just come in and, and be speaking. I don't like that. I want to be there in the worship, and that's that. I get a lot of recharge time in that. Mm-hmm. Do you have intercessors for your conferences or? I definitely do. But most of them, I'm not aware of them. A few of them, I am. Uh, and we dialogue and they reach out to me and things. And, but I, I have people all the time come up to me and things and say, we need to pray for you every day. Or, you know, or once a week, we pray for you specifically for this and this. And there are people that I don't know at all. Or, or, or don't have much relationship with. Like, they've met me several years ago at... with it that are are really intentional with it um and which i'm really really grateful for to have and i know um i think it really makes a difference um uh whenever we have um especially like our trips to brazil um there's always a team that is interceding throughout the whole meeting and um like uh, I know I've mentioned Charles Finney a good bit, but um, he had uh, Daniel Nash and Abel Clary, who before he would be going and doing meetings, they would always go before him, and sometimes for like a week, be just spending hours praying and interceding, and they would feel like, okay, we've sort of torn open the soil here, and they would let Finney know then he would come and and do things but not a lot of people know that that they would 
that he had those men that would go and sort of break it open first before he would come. And um, I think God can do it whether you have that or not. But I do think that I think I, I really think that there's there's a lot of forgotten power and um, sustained time, whether it's an intercession or um, like one one really powerful example of that is like like what is happening right now in Redding, California um, with Bill or what's been happening there for years. Like, I, th- I think um, that, like, I think if Bill left there and went and started, you know, something here, let's say, it wouldn't be the same. I think that what, I think that a, a huge part of why Bethel is the hub that it is is because Bill labored into it for 20 plus years. That like, that there's really power and sustained time in striking an area. And even like one of the things that I wish we could return to um, is what would happen in the 40s and 50s in the midst of the healing revival was um, the amount of time that people had to sit under the word and be taught, um, I think makes an enormous difference as well. Like, I, I'm grateful that and recognize, like, as we're going and doing things, we go into an area for a two- or three-day healing conference, and we see good things happen, sometimes really good things happen. But every time I'm thinking, you know, it's not nearly the power it could be if, if we would do it more the way it was done then. Um, because you're sort of, you're going in usually totally clean slate and you're just there kind of plowing and plowing and plowing and then finally you kind of break it open at the last night or something and you see some good things but you know like in in the 40s and 50s they would have men like ff bosworth and others that were the teachers they would and they would spend you know weeks having people come and sit under their teaching and and walk them through how you come into belief how you have expectancy for what God is going to do Untrain, undoing unbelief and negative ways of thinking and all these things that like we really like there's I think there it's equally when we're especially going for things like healing that it's just as much on the responsibility of the people and those who are ministering to build faith and undo unbelief and to have that personal readiness of heart and expectation is just as necessary as the anointing coming because you know you can have the anointing and the power coming but then people can have and sometimes it'll just you'll just have those moments where it happens and the people don't want it don't expect it but that's not the normative the normative is it's much stronger when people are ready to receive when it comes and um, so they would spend weeks with the teachers being taught all those things and then they would say all right now you can go into the healing service and they would see so much more happen because people would go in already primed, already expectant, already ready. And then when the words of knowledge are flowing, when the things are happening, they know what to expect. They know what to do. They know when to stand, you know, and then things are happening versus you just go somewhere for two or three days and there's all this responsibility to try and do in two or three days what could be done through weeks, you know, doing another another dynamic. Or... Um, like with uh, the revivals in Argentina, like with um, Claudio Frazan and Carlos Anacondia, Omar Cabrera, they would 
they wouldn't just come and do a crusade and then just go to another city. They would spend days and days and days and days in the same spot, hitting it again and again and again and again. And you would see it build and get more powerful. Um, so yeah, I think kind of along the lines of intercession too, this, that there's a lot of power when you, when you toil over a place and you tarry and you spend time. Like everything that we do now is like instant, quick, you know. Um, yeah. So it kind of um, reminds me of something you said last week about the contending for something. You know, so you were talking about contending for schizophrenia. So it's that sustained, like, mm-hmm. to focus on something specific enables you to sustain, like, have sustained effort or focus on mm-hmm. it as opposed to spreading it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So if you have opportunity, could we do that? Do oh, do the the sustain yeah, I would. I would if I if I if there was an avenue for me to do it, I would I would absolutely do it. I would rather us do I would rather us switch up and do really everything like that if we could. Um I mean, you know, a, a part of it too has to be people have to want it, you know. It has to be their desire you try to do it and people don't want it and they, then it's you know just damaging or it could be helpful um, but yeah I, I would I would so want to do that I guess the way to test that is to see if you you see more breakthrough if you go to like a pastor's church who's already been plowing yeah, yeah you know, that's that, true. that road and st- like you see more of a change in like pastor's church who's brought revelation healing has been teaching that has prepared his congress or her congregation as opposed to like a three-day conference mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've noticed that as everywhere we're going like the places that now sometimes it's not the case which is you know I, because I think just out of God's mercy like he'll come and I mean I mean sorry my brain's going in different directions it's um it's interesting because you kind of see a lot of both. It's like sometimes it's hard to, you can't really pin it down. Like sometimes, um, sometimes the most powerful things happen at the least prepared environments where it just feels like dead and God will just show up so powerfully. And there's, we've seen, I've seen a lot of crazy things happen in environments like that where I go in and I'm like, man, this is terrible. I don't want to be here. And it just blows up. Um, <laughs> But there's other times where you see that you go, and it's like that's a, that's a good thing when that happens. But I don't think that I don't think we should like desire for it to be in that really negative context for God to come. Yes, He'll come and do it because He's loving. But um, it's so much better if places are prepared beforehand, have been walking through things like something that Randy that is a lot of wisdom and what Randy does is um, I would see constantly or I would be in charge of before we would go places we would tell them alright we've got however many weeks or months until we're coming get this uh, course get this thing get the, this thing get this book this this training manual and start walking your people through all of this stuff and so the places where we would go and they would say oh Randy we've been walking our, our church through the Power to Heal curriculum or, or whatever it was for this many weeks or months, we would see so much more happen there versus the places where 
we would ask them to do it and they would forget or not do it, we would see so much more with the places that had already been partnering and preparing. Or even if they didn't do that, but the places we would go where like they would say, we've had our whole church fasting for 21 days or 40 days before you guys come, then we would see so much more happen. Because they had been really taking it seriously and, and having a readiness you know, versus I don't think that it's, it's out of, I don't think that people have a desire or, or are intentionally not taking it seriously. It just says you can forget how much of a difference some of these things make in terms of the preparation. And yeah, the places where we would see, would have that going on, we would see exponentially more either numbers of healings, power with people being filled with the spirit, or we would see like unusual very dramatic miracles in those settings. Yeah. You have anything else on your mind? Anything you're thinking or wondering? Or well, I wonder. Like, do you think that the way we're doing things, conferences, and the, our concept of the local church as it is and has been, do you think that's going to continue? Do you think there's a new wineskin? Because I know with like the coronavirus, a lot of people yeah. are saying, well, yeah. this is a good thing, like a new yeah. skin. God's trying to get us out of the four walls. Mm-hmm. And like, what's your opinion on that? Uh, kind of twofold. I, th- I think that, that um, I do think that God is, 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 is continuing to and has blessed what has been going on. I mean, because so many of them were things that he ordained. Like especially the things that were going on with the vineyard and the and the the schools for equipping the saints, like their latter rain revival. Um, have you guys studied much about that? About the latter rain outpouring and, and what happened with um, that's another amazing one to study. Is I think there's probably <laughs> books on latter rain outpouring there, but um, Randy got to interview one of the guys who was a really central figure there years ago, and. Um, because a lot of people wondered, like, why did the revival end? And this guy named Erskine uh, Holt, uh, who Randy was interviewing, said, you want to know why it ended? And Randy's like, yeah. And he said, I was there. And what happened was the, it, the gifts of the Spirit were really prominent there, and especially prophecy, and very detailed prophecy. And... Um, what happened was people had begun to make it very much about them and their anointing and their gift. And so one night as Erskine was there, one of the prophets, the spirit came on him and he started speaking, but it was the Lord speaking through him. And he said, basically, because you have stopped equipping my people to do the work of ministry and you've made it about yourselves and your anointing, I'm going to lift my presence from this movement. And it, it lifted that night and ended all the, the powerful prophecy, all the glory, everything, done. And um, and they were having dramatic things. Like they were entering into worship and often would hear, they would hear Jesus and the angels like singing over the people wow. and all of it. As soon as, as soon as they made it about themselves, it all stopped. And so a part of it, I think, is, and a lot of the equipping the saints was restored so strongly through John Limber and, um, and through... Especially the, not so much the conferences, but the schools where we're teaching people how to do it. I think that God's really on that and that that will continue. Um, 
but I think that the that there are a lot of the parts of it that are very unhealthy as well, and very um, very much just wrapped up in a personality or in a entertainment and things like that. That I think God is is beginning to sort of strip away. I don't think it will ever be stripped away because I think God will always have a contrast. I think that you know until He returns and everything is just light that we're always going to have a darkness and light contrast like Isaiah 61 that the whole darkness deep darkness covers the people but the glory of the Lord his light shines in the midst of it you know like that's another thing I teach on with revival is like a lot of people say the thing what's the phrase like when you turn on a light switch like the light is Jesus all the darkness has to go that preaches well but that's not really what happens like every time when the the more intense the light the more intense the darkness because the enemy is always going to the enemy doesn't is, isn't just going to take things lying down he <laughs> like relentlessly opposes what god is doing and the more it's like it exacerbates the darkness the more intense he's coming and the lord's moving the more the enemy works against it and so i think that we're going to see um i think there are things in a in a i i maybe not so much new wineskin but i like renewed wineskin that is because it's, it's things that were there before like like for example one of them i think is the sitting under the teaching it's not a, a new concept but it's renewed i think we're going to see things that are renewed that god brings up again that are very much in a more positive direction but i think we're also going to see an even more drastic contrast of the celebrity entertainment driven you know thing at the same time so that there's a there's something that the spirit can point to and say, look at this more excellent way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And scripture says there's going to be a great falling away. Yeah. You know, that's um, that the enemy desires to deceive even the very elect, you know, so that's, we're going to see that. I mean, we're seeing it right now um, and, we'll, and we'll continue to see it, but I think it's, as we're seeing, you know, the intensity of that, we're going to see the intensity of the the bride of Christ shining all the more radiantly amidst that darkness. That's a more accurate analogy because I used to like that light switch. Oh yeah. <laughs> I no, I know I did too. I until I started realizing, like, I remember being in Indonesia and um, the spirit coming so heavily and people being touched and all these things, but man. But, but that first night ministering in Indonesia, praying, come Holy Spirit, having three or 400 people start rolling around on the floor, throwing up and having demons come out of them and witch doctors coming out and cursing us and things was just, you see that like the enemy attacks when the spirit comes. Um, and you see that in revivals that it's not like, I love what John Wesley said that he said um, that he uh, needed to examine his soul if men weren't speaking ill of him um, or if the enemy wasn't working against him that he's not in good standing with God if that's the case because you know if, if, if there's no if there's no threat to the enemy then he has nothing to attack if there's a threat if you're threatening to him like that's why I tell people be encouraged if stuff is coming against you that means you're on the right path you know that means you're doing something right if like I remember earlier this year when I was in at Bethel 
and and I found out from someone that I was listed on videos and things now as like NAR rising star person I was like yes I've made it (laughs) I've arrived I'm finally having enough of an impact where you know where there's opposition coming against me like yeah yeah like that made me that made my day to find out that 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 I was listed as a Oh yeah, no, it's definitely good, but I think it's it's good that the demonic is stirred up, like that's it's that's a good sign because it's it's showing that so that's why I don't really like the light switch thing because it kind of paints a picture of I don't I don't like if something uh, illustrates a train of thought that says how we know God is with us or that we're on the right path is that it's easy is is sort of what I mean like when I'm uh, teaching kind of on that, what I'll say is it's a really poor theological mistake if we equate the level of God's goodness with the level of our comfort, then we're in, we're in bad territory. So it's like it's, it's, it makes us comfortable to think like the Spirit's going to come and it's basically everything is just pushed away, you know, yeah. and it's just yeah. easy and it's comfortable, but that's not what happens. Yeah. It's that very messy in Indonesia. Yeah, it's very messy. It's, war- it's warfare is stirred up when those things are happening. You get you get intense activity of God. You get intense activity of human flesh, and you get intense activity of demonic, all at once. If it really is God, then you're gonna have all three of those all at once. And um, yeah, Indonesia was it was something. Um, I mean, I didn't know what to do with that. And I had, tell us more about that experience. Yeah, what do you want to know? Yeah. And that's happening. Yeah. And then continue. See if Holy I have Spirit any. More. more Holy Spirit. Yeah, more. Then, <laughs> Let me try to find some pictures or videos from. So, what do you say, Brian? I think that's a very nasty. Like, what do you say next? Oh, like, what did I, what did I do? Well, it was really funny because I had actually. Um, I actually was pretty scared of deliverance and um i prayed here's like another thing about if um if you really don't want to do something don't don't vocalize that you don't want to do it um because i i prayed i mean it's like that paints a bullseye on you i prayed like god please i don't want to do this this stuff freaks me out these stories i hear and like just let other let Jake and those guys do this stuff. And um, I went to Indonesia, and then one of Leif Hetland's spiritual sons, who's from Singapore, named Jeff Ewan, was there. And Jeff's pro- Jeff Jeff's probably the most anointed with the, the the gifts of the spirit person I've ever met. I mean, you don't feel like you're you're born again being around him. Like 
like when we like walk through like the streets with Jeff, he walks past people and they'll start shrieking and demons coming out of them. Whoa. It's wow. ridiculous. And I would watch him like um, have person after person after person um, stand them up and have like 20 pieces of information about them and them getting healed just Whoa. ridiculous. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't, why do you guys even want me here? Do you have him? <laughs> but like I have, like one of my goals is sometime to have to bring Jeff out to something I'm doing or um, when we get to a, a place where we can afford to do it. It'd be really expensive to bring him in. Um, and he's never been to the U.S. He, all his ministry has just been there, but he just has the craziest stuff that he sees all the, like every day. Like I, he, was, he was telling me a few months ago, like during the quarantine time with ministering everything virtually, he had a he prayed for a guy over a Zoom call who came out of a brain dead coma. Wow. Just wow. craziness. It's like God, this isn't fair. But anyway, um, so wait one second, Brian. Yeah. So going back to what you said about sustaining, like what you said about Bill Johnson. Mm-hmm. If you took what's his name? Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. yeah. If you took Jeff out of Indonesia, you probably wouldn't see the same. That's another thing that I wondered is because he spent years um, going to and from Indonesia and Singapore. He spent so many years plowing there and doing things like, I mean, there, there's such a heavily, uh, heavy Muslim culture. So there's some things with like street evangelism where he can't do it overtly. So one thing he does, um, he's really creative too. If, like he bought a doctor's coat and he would go and like set up a podium and hold what he called like health talks. <laughs> And he would just not give words of knowledge or anything, but just talk about being healthy until and had just have people get healed. Says he was doing a health talk, or he would like have a stethoscope and like walk around and he'll like pretend he'll get words of knowledge, but pretend like he's like diagnosing people and get them healed. Or with his with their kids, this is the this is the, my favorite. With all their young kids, he takes teams of kids out to pray for people because people won't say no to kids usually, and he gives them like these stuffed animal hand puppets. And he'll tell them, like, like if a person has a broken arm, he tells them, go and, like, bite them with the puppets, and the people's broken arms will be healed. Like, what? the coolest stuff. And, um... That's beautiful. Uh, well, I don't know. Oh, so, but Jeff's, Jeff has a heavy anointing for deliverance. Um, and so I had been praying that, and then I wind up in Indonesia for two weeks, and I'm spending all this time with him, and it just kind of rubbed off, I guess, because I had not really seen much of it up until that point. I'd been trying to avoid it, not praying for it, and then to get there, spend time with Jeff. And now everywhere I go, I see lots of deliverance. And I still usually never try. I still, but when I, I've noticed, well, just in the impartation times, there's lots of deliverance that started happening after Indonesia. But that trip kind of kicked it off. But I mean, we had a crazy time, like. The second village we went to, Kalimantan, uh, was was very steeped in the occultic, and um, we had a lot going on this one night, and uh, the police came with the chief of police, probably to arrest us and throw us in jail, or kill us, and um, we saw them there, but I was just like, all right, I'm just going to keep going. If this is how I go out, I go out with a bang, I guess. And, um, so they were standing and watching and everything. And then, um, 
Jeff gets, uh, here we go. So these two guys here were the two um, police chiefs. This was like the next morning after they were friendly, when they weren't like hostile anymore. And, um, but when they came, like at first, um, it was it was with a lot of hostility, like they were, looked like they were about to draw their weapons. And um, we didn't know at the time, they, they had people that were government Indonesian government employees that were planted throughout the audience in the church that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, as we're there, Jeff was like, let's do words of knowledge. And the first word Jeff had was for the chief of police's mother. And so he calls her and she gets healed over the phone. And then they're like freaking out. And so then all the people that were the police that came and then the ones that were secret all rushed up to the front and were like, we want you to pray for all of us, lay hands on all of us. Um, so it went from like they were there to who knows maybe kill this us was too. In a church? Yeah, this was so in, that is illegal in a church to to pray. I mean, well, they I mean they they're they don't really have very strict laws. It's pretty fluid, and they they have a lot of corruption within their police within their government. They're basically where if they're upset at you for doing anything involving Jesus or, or anti something that they want, they can arrest you or, 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 but, but the law isn't in the church. You can't, um, well, it probably, it probably wasn't against the law, but it's basically, they are the law. They can do whatever Uh, they want. Um, so anyway, and then they gave us like free they were like, it's not safe for you, so you get a police escort. So they escorted us to and from wow. like our hotels and everything. But all of it was because Jeff, you know, had that word that was for the chief of police's mom, wow. who gets healed and, and like broke everything open. Um, and that night, one of the really prominent witch doctors in Kalimantan was at the meeting, and he came up to me afterwards and was like, "All the Christians here are scared of me, and you're not scared of me. And why is that?" And I knew I, and he told me he was his like he, his position there as a witch doctor and so I knew he had spiritual power so I said well why don't you use whatever spirit is with you to see who's with me and you'll know why we're not afraid of you huh. and he did that and and started weeping gave his life to Jesus wow. it was just we had a crazy time in Indonesia but and, and kind of every aspect crazy good crazy bad our bus almost fell off the edge of a cliff um, that wasn't fun. If I had known how, how crazy it was going to be, I wouldn't have let Camden come with me. So it's good that I didn't know because God needed her to be there like for things she got to experience, but I would have been like, no, no, you're not coming. We could die. So. Brian, I yeah. have one quick yeah. question. How often do you experience credible threats to your life? Oh, no, not, not a lot. Um, so this was like a one-time. Yeah, and in Indonesia, that trip was just really, like, wild. I didn't know um, if you had people like throwing cats at you. And <laughs> no, crazy. thankfully, <laughs> I'm glad I don't. Um, I, I mean, I have had a few things that were really dramatic that I don't want to say that they were threats. Well, there were threats, but I, uh, like, one. I don't think I talked to you guys about what happened with the person that was very demon possessed when I was in Boston last week. Did I? That was a pretty wild, um, or maybe I did. Oh, I, you I, did. I, I thought, you yeah, were locked yeah, in the room. Yeah, when I was locked in the room. In yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
I've had a couple. Oh, the monkey. Yeah, yeah, okay, that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had a couple things that were sort of like that. Yeah. I guess were threats, like the the spirits were saying they wanted to kill me, but but not a lot. Thankfully, I, I I'm really thankful that I'm not in like a Robbie Dawkins position of um, those things. Yeah. Um, I hope that, that that wouldn't have to be the case. I don't know. I shouldn't say I hope that, because then the next thing I know, then <laughs> will be happening. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about for the last, about, I guess, 10 minutes or so before I want to close it out with getting to pray for everyone? Pray for us. <laughs> or, I mean, if you guys don't have anything else that's really on your mind or, or that you're curious about, then, I mean, we could end, we could end a little bit early. If that's okay, and I can just pray for you all, and then um, we'll just... in the healing track, yeah, uh, wholeness track. Is there specific scriptures that you kind of that I really lean into for uh, for healing? That you just kind of fe- meditate on, that you feast on, you know, maybe more than some others. That you know, just to keep you focused in that realm, in that you know, in that zone. Really, all of them. Um, just really everything that, especially everything that is to do with, with Jesus inaugurating the kingdom or the kingdom and healings connection, all of those I read again and again and again and again and again. Um, to keep myself centered on the fact that, okay, you told us, like in First John, as you are, so are we in this world. Why was he here? He was here to inaugurate the kingdom of God. What did that look like? It looked like pushing back the forces of the enemy. It looked like healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. And that every time someone is healed, it's living testimony that Jesus is now Lord. You know, he's, he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He reigns. It's, we're contending for his kingdom, his rule, his reign to come and break into our midst. So all of those I just look at over and over. Um, just reminding myself, like, I'm in... I might be here, but I'm a citizen of your kingdom. I'm an ambassador of your kingdom. I'm one of your image bearers. And I have responsibility and authority delegated to me to do this. And I just kind of soak myself in that. Um, That along with I just dig into history over and over and like looking looking at what God did through people. Because to me... Um... Like, I realized pretty early on, I used to, something funny is, is early on, I didn't like history, and I love it so much now, but the reason I didn't like it early on is because um, I didn't view it, I didn't view the testimonies as a bridge, I viewed it as a barrier. So, like, what God wants us to do is look at this and say, look at what's possible for you to enter into. And the enemy was using it against me as look at what God is doing through you compared to what he did through whoever and how inadequate you are and I didn't like it because it made me just fearful that I'm never going to enter into this place and what you realize is those individuals never thought they would enter into that place like Catherine Coleman said that she she said of herself that she thought she was born virtually with no talent um, and yet you know look what God did in her and all these people, William Seymour, Evan Roberts, and Mariah Woodworth Eder, from just such small beginnings, everyone thought nothing's going to become of them, and God would just lift them up. And um, 
I didn't like it at first because I would just read about the amazing things and not look so much at their beginnings. And now I love it. And, and that's another thing I do to saturate myself in uh, being anchored in what God can do through you for healing or through the miraculous is just reading what God did through them. It's like if you did it in that person, it's possible for you to do it in me. And then it just leads me into all the things like what do I do to align myself in the right way in order to be use of, of you in this way. Um, so with that being said, I guess we're in a little bit early and, um, has this been okay? Is this good? Yeah. yeah. This good. Is last really couple good. Weeks? I know. I mean, I basically, it was just kind of Q and a the whole time, but, yeah. but to, that seems, you know, for me to be kind of the, the most fun, I like being interactive. And so if you think of a reading list. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give Tom a reading list for him to e- email out to you guys yeah. for sure. Awesome, thank yeah. you. All right, so let me let me pray for, for you all. I guess I can stop this.